No subscriptions, no network, no rules, or at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. Welcome to the penultimate edition of BOA's Summer of Strangeness. Um, as we kind of rambled about at the end of the show last week, I know that, you know, Labor Day weekend's the unofficial end of summer, but there's still two weeks left, so we've decided to do two more shows. Uh, you know, to wrap up the uh, Summer of Strangeness within the legal framework of summer, so... Uh, take that, CVS, with your Halloween candy. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to this one. This uh, this idea came to me last week when we were talking to the Conspiracy Normal guys about the Strange Realities Conference. Uh, they were running down a list of speakers, and they mentioned tonight's guest, and it was like, I have, I have not done enough true crime on this show. And uh, as I was telling Jenny here, uh, I'm, like a, I'm like a true crime addict. Um, I'm like into all this stuff, and I have like – I just I just really love true crime and all, especially like a lot of these like real uh, big names, the famous serial killers and stuff. I don't know. We'll get into that why people why why that stuff is so popular. But uh, I'm I confess I'm one of those people. So uh, I was like, we gotta. This is this is a if, if I'm gonna keep doing shows, this is definitely one I want to do. So uh, pretty much wrapped up uh, you know the week and, and got in touch with Jenny as soon as I could. So tonight's guest on the program is Jenny Ashford. She's a horror, true crime, and paranormal writer, graphic designer, and podcaster. Her most recent books are a three-volume true crime compilation collectively known as The Faceless Villain, a collection of the eeriest unsolved mysteries of the 20th century. As she, uh, as the bio says here, is three volumes. Volume 1 was uh, 2017. Volume 2 is 2018. Volume 3 is 2019. She's also written four paranormal books regarding poltergeist which we uh, may get into as well, and uh, a whole bunch of other um, novels, three horror novels. She's incredibly prolific. I feel I've never even written a book. She's written tons, so I'm already feeling uh, I'm already feeling inadequate here, folks. So I don't know what, what the hell's going on. And she also co-hosts a podcast. I mean, look at this. I can barely put this show together, and she's doing all this. She co-hosts a podcast with Tom Ross called 13 O'Clock, on which they discuss paranormal weirdness, true crime, unexplained mysteries, and other creepy fun topics. She's also, as I said, a graphic designer, and she'll be speaking at the Strange Realities Conference in a couple of weeks, uh, strangerealitiesconference.com. You can find out more about her at jennyashford.com. So there you go. That's the whole bio. Uh, welcome to the show, Jenny. I'm really looking forward to this. I am too. Thank you very much for inviting me. 
Yeah, I guess I'm like blown away. I was like, uh, I should have had a, a warning there ahead of time. Like, I, I'm going to mess this up. She's got so much. She does so much stuff. She's done so much stuff. I'm like, how am I going to, how am I going to cover this? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm blown away. Kudos, kudos to you. I, I, I feel lazy. That was, <laughs> getting that. Well, the, I, uh, well, if it makes you feel, it makes you feel any better. I feel very tired. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay. So that's the trade-off, right? Okay. <laughs> It is, yeah. <laughs> Let's start out with the bio, the background. I, I kind of gave the bio, but you know, tell us who is Jenny Ashford. How how did you, how did this life come about? This life as a true crime and paranormal writer. Oh my goodness. Well, I guess I mean when I was growing up as a kid, I was like, that's all I ever wanted to be was a writer. And, um, you know, and I was always into ghost stories. I was into horror fiction. I was always into that kind of stuff. Just anything creepy, I was all about it. And um, kind of as time went on, like I, you know, when I was a teenager, when I was in my 20s, like I wrote a couple novels, but they weren't very good. And it's like I wasn't really getting any bites in that direction. So, you know, I went to college. I became a graphic designer because I, you know, also had a kind of an artistic thing. So I went off and I did that like as a day job for a while. And then um, kind of as it happened, I guess after I met um, Tom Ross, who was my uh, co-host on 13 O'Clock, uh, he started telling me about like a paranormal, like a poltergeist experience that he had had uh, when he was a kid. And uh, even though I was kind of skeptic uh, about paranormal stuff, I was just kind of like, um, you know, uh, well, do you mind if I write about that? Like, that sounds like a really interesting story. So we kind of collaborated on the book. And uh, that book actually led to him, you know, meeting with a parapsychologist, Steve Mara, which led to a couple other books. And then after a while, I was kind of like, you know, it's like, you know, I've written a lot of paranormal stuff. It's like, I'd really, really like to get into true crime because I'm really into that. I've, you know, read that since I was a kid. So, you know, I just kind of got the idea of doing, you know, a compilation, kind of like I had done with the Poltergeist thing, like I did with the Unseen Hand. And I was like, I just want to do, I want to pick out like the creepiest, weirdest true crime cases that I found really interesting, like from the whole 20th century. And I said it was initially supposed to be one book, but of course it was so many cases that it ended up being three. And there actually might be a fourth one. Uh, I started working on a fourth one. Uh, it kind of got sidetracked a little bit because I kind of got a bunch of other pro- projects come in, but I think sometime next year I might put out a fourth one that has uh, unsolved crimes from like 2000 to 2019. But uh, yeah. we'll see how that goes. I'm not sure how long it's going to take me. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, and it's always harder once you kind of catch up to the present because it's like, uh, like uh, how long? You know, it's like how long? How long do you give it before it's really? Like an unsolved, you know what I mean? If it's like, well, if it happened in April, how the <laughs> it that's, hasn't that's solved exactly, yet. Exactly. Yeah, that was one of the exact things I was thinking of because I was like, I, I kind of questioned whether I even wanted to get into it because I was like, well, you know, a crime that happened in like 2004, it's like that's a lot more likely to be solved than some crime that happened in like 1924. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because like that crime, it's probably like they're probably never going to solve that because everyone's dead. It's like all the you know, there's no forensic evidence left, but, um, you know, so I don't know. I, was, I started working on it and it's like, I'm kind of been working on it off and on. We'll see how it goes, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. Now I, I alluded to this at the beginning. And, and so, you know, you, you've delved into true crime for a long time. It's like, why do you, it amazes me how popular it is. Um, 
you know, I think people listening have a pretty good idea, but just for those who may not, it's like it's just like like people who listen to this show, they, I'm sure they know about all these other paranormal podcasts, but there are like thousands of true crime podcasts. Some of them are like huge. And of course, there's at least two cable channels, uh, ID and uh, I forget what the other one is, Oxygen, which are like all just 24-7 true crime shows. I'm an ID addict, as they say on the on the channel. I'm a, oh, I'm yeah. a fan of that one. Yeah. Although I'll be honest, I've been I've been a little disenfranchised with ID lately, but I so I flip over to Oxygen. I kind of like I kind of like how they have more theme programs. ID's kind of slipping yeah. a little bit on on that regard. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, so if anyone from either channel is listening, get get your act together. But, yeah, uh, I, I find <laughs> ID is, is too much like, uh, like like just a detective trying to solve a murder where it's like, no, 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 I want, I want like, uh, you know, just a show just about murders on airplanes, you know, or it's like, I just want just circus clown murders. And I flip over to Oxygen and it's like, this circus clown murder series. It's like, this is what I'm looking for. I want some real specific creepy shit. Um, so, You're like, I want things categorized. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I need order in my life. I get that, I get that. <laughs> um, so why do you think it is, why is this so popular? Why do you think true crime is so, resonates so much with, uh, you know, with with the public nowadays? You know, I wonder if it's because, I'm not really sure if it's just because I mean, most people's lives, I mean, particularly in the United States and the West, like in Europe and stuff, it just seems like most people's lives are just so normal, and we don't really encounter anything horrific. I mean, most people don't, um, you know, in the course of their daily lives. And maybe in a weird, messed up way, maybe we kind of miss that? (laughs) I don't know. It's like, I'm not really sure why. It's like very strange because I feel like, I don't, it's, it's really hard for me to, cause I love, I've always loved horror. So I love anything to do with whether it's fictional horror, whether it's real horror, like I'm really into that. Like in some ways I feel kind of bad, like writing about real crimes or watching real crimes. Cause I said, you know, there are actual like human beings who went through like some terrible trauma, like at the other end of that, unlike like horror right. fiction, but in, but in another way, it's kind of like, you know, you, you really just can't look away from it because I, I don't know. It's, it's almost kind of like you're missing something in your life. You're missing excitement. Maybe you're missing strangeness. You're missing this kind of, maybe it's that, but maybe it's also kind of like you're in a way you're kind of like relating to the victims. Like how would I feel if something happened? How would I react if, you know, what if the original yeah, yeah. stalker had come into my bedroom? Like, what would I have done? How would I have reacted? So I think people, like, in a weird way, like to – the same reasons that people like to watch horror movies, because you can put yourself into a situation, but you can still be safe. You know what I mean? So maybe yeah. that's maybe that's what it is. I'm not entirely sure what the psychology is, but it is, like, massively, massively – I mean, I wrote, like, you know, four paranormal books, and those, you know, sold pretty well. But the minute I came out with true crime stuff, I was just like that. Everybody just wanted that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it just, yeah, it just yeah. seemed like that sold like 10 times more than the paranormal stuff. And I guess the paranormal stuff is like a much smaller, um, you know, kind of demographic. Like true crime, everybody seems like they're into that. Like everybody's interested in true crime. It's a huge, huge demographic. So yeah. it's got to be something. It's got to be. 
some kind of, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's messed up. I don't think people are sick or anything like that for, for being interested yeah, no. in it. I mean, it can't, it can't be because so many people are into it. Not that right. many people could be messed up. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, now you may not know this. I don't know this. So, but what stuck, what stood out to me as you were answering that question, because uh, I was kind of thinking about it myself, is. Like, we call it true crime now. I don't remember when it became true crime, but I think the true part is what is sort of emblematic of why it's so popular now. I think it's like we're, we're, it's this reality era. We've been in this reality TV era for like 20 years now, and I think it's almost maybe this natural extension of that 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 weird, like, smashing of reality that we've had over the last couple of decades uh, with reality TV and now reality just being really weird because of social media and everything else. Um so I wonder if that has something to do with it, because like, they, I mean, they may have been calling it true crime back in the '70s, but I don't. I thought it was just called crime stuff, and now it's like true crime, and it's like, oh, what? What do you mean by that? And it's like, well, it's true, it's real crime, so it's like there's a reality aspect of it. I wonder if that has something to do with it, but that, that's kind of just a shot in the dark observation on my end. That's actually a really good point. That was something I hadn't considered, but yeah, you might be right about that because I don't think. I mean, I could be remembering it wrong because, you know, I was a kid in the 70s, but I don't think they called it true crime until later. And right, that right. might be that might be why. Like, I think the time that people started getting into reality shows and it might have been going back so far as, uh, you know, even like those messed up like talk shows like Geraldo and Sally Jesse Raphael and stuff that was kind of that people were like addicted to because those were supposedly real people, even though a lot of times that, you know, it was yeah, yeah. fake. But, um, you know, by the time, like, all these reality shows started coming out and, like, even now with people watching, like, people not even watching that much fiction anymore, I guess. I mean, they still do, but it just seems like people are really into, like, watching real stuff on YouTube and, you know, just reality shows in general. So that might be part of it, too. It's just kind of this this whole, like, spectrum of reality that people are watching. <laughs> now... All right. Now, I, I was, as I said to you before we got into the show, um, so what I did for the folks listening home trying to understand what's going on here, so I uh, I didn't have a chance to check out these books just yet, um, but I'm going to be picking them up. So on the on the Amazon thing, they have little blurbs on each one. So I kind of on each little on on several of the cases. This is and much more, but there, there's a list here of cases. So I went through the trilogy here, the Faceless Villain, a collection of the eeriest unsolved murders of the 20th century. And sort of just cherry-picked like five or six of uh, the weirdest ones I could find for uh, for the banal America listeners. And, of course, we're going to pepper this in with a bunch of questions and stuff as we go along. Um, the one thing I, I wanted to ask, too, it kind of made me think about it when we were talking about the problems, the, the pitfalls of, of, of putting together a fourth book, is uh, – and you may not necessarily know this, but it might have popped up on your radar – the, the book is the unsolved, These Unsolved, Mister, unsolved Murders – have do you know if any have been solved since you wrote the books? Um, the only one that I can think of, um, actually, when I was working on the third volume, I think that was when they caught uh, Joseph D'Angelo. Um, oh, okay. You know, and I was at, and I was actually going to. It might have been when I was working on volume two, um, because I was actually going to write about you know, the original Night Stalker in the book because they hadn't caught him at that point, like when I first started the book. But then when I was about halfway through the book, they caught him. 
And so I actually hadn't got to the part where I was talking about him yet. So I was like, well, there's another thing I don't have to put in there. But I put a thing in the introduction, like, you know, talking about how he was supposed to be in the book. And then they caught him. so We took it out. Um, But as far as I know, it's like what I was going to do, one of the things I was going to do maybe in the fourth volume that I'm working on is I was going to go back and check and see if any of the crimes that I talked about had been solved. Um, yeah. A couple of them were, I can't remember what they were offhand, but I started making like a, like a little outline of stuff that had been solved. It wasn't a lot, um, but there were some that had either been solved or they thought that they might have been like, they, they're like, well, we're pretty sure it was this guy, but he's dead or, you know, so we couldn't yeah, like yeah. prove it. But um, it was that kind of thing, but not as many as I would have thought actually. But that was something that I wanted to kind of incorporate if uh, the fourth volume comes out. Well, it's interesting. I would have saved this for the end, but I'm a huge uh, uh, follower. I was uh, certainly not a fan. A huge follower of the Golden State Killer case. Um, so I was like, that was. I mean, I don't know how you felt, but that for me, when that was solved, that was like uh, staggering. Is probably the best way to like. Yeah. I could not believe. I could not yeah, believe that believe they it. that. Yeah, that they solved the. That they solved the case, and and I've been following it. You know, I followed it for a couple of years before they solved it, and then I followed it pretty closely afterwards because it was so compelling. Because it's just I, I, unlike any, I I was too young, or I wasn't, I wasn't certainly wasn't too young, uh, but I I wasn't, I didn't have the same interest in stuff like BTK or something when they finally caught BTK. So I, I wish I had sort of been around when that happened. So this was like the closest I'd ever come to a situation like that. So to me, yeah, I find that. That case fascinating. I really hope uh, I hope that he says something. Like, obviously, he said like something at the sentencing hearing. He said it had this really like uh, where it was like this jaw dropping moment. I'm sure you saw it where he stood up and apologized. It's like I don't know if you believe he's sorry, yeah. but it was like the most he'd ever said. So for all of us who've been following the case forever, it was like holy shit, holy shit, he's about to talk. It was like this really I don't even know what you'd call it. Just like this really like bizarre moment where he's like just like holy shit this monster's about to finally say something after all all these years um but yeah it's interesting i do wonder uh how i think maybe in a few years the number of solved cases may increase because i I sort of pivot from that is the 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 way they caught him with genealogical dna seems like it's destined to wind up solving a ton of cold cases Oh, yeah. And they've already solved some with that. So I really do think like, you know, I guess time permitting, um, you know, you have your cold case, you know, people that are working on various things around the country. And if they have that at their disposal now, I mean, they'll be able to clear a lot of cases, I would hope. Um, maybe even some, like I said, some of the ones that I wrote about, like in the early volumes of my book, it's like, you know, at this point like a lot of that uh, evidence is probably degraded uh, too much to do anything with but I mean some of the ones that happened in the 70s and 80s I mean I don't see why they wouldn't be able to solve some of those you know if they didn't uh, you know if they applied the same kind of stuff it's funny because we had actually done a an episode on our podcast about the original Night Stalker before he was caught and, yeah, um, we did two on so our show. Kind of, <laughs> yeah, 
so it's interesting to like go back and listen to it now. I was like, well, how close were we? Like what the profile was, we were actually pretty close, but you know, <laughs> like who, like what kind of guy we thought it was going to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was the, that was the, I, I guess it's pretty cool. Yeah. That was kind of the cool part about that turn of events. Cause then all of a sudden everybody could kind of like check their work and be like, yeah. well, who was close and who wasn't close and what did we get right? And what didn't we get right? And, and, uh, yeah, it was a really – I'd like to someday do, uh, you know, write something about this sort of phenomenon of, like, when mysteries get solved because it's a really interesting dynamic. I remember, like, reading on the – I was, like, like trolling – well, not trolling, but, like, lurking on the uh, Eron's message boards and Reddit and stuff like that. And the, it's like a combination of elation, uh, crestfallenness, where people are like, well, what am I going to do with my life now? Which is, like, yeah. a really bizarre – yeah, it's a really bizarre, like – uh, interesting development that you don't expect necessarily. We're like, oh yeah, what are these people going to do now? Uh, um, and, and then, and then people who are just who are just like, I don't want to give up the hunt, and they're still and they're kind of pissed. Where they're like, well, it's over, but where you know, I, I need answers to case number twenty five, and it's like, dude, you're pro- you may never get answers to case twenty five, bro. Like it's just not, you know, it's over. The guys, unless the yeah. guy talks, I I really hope that. At some point down the line, that they can get some more information out of him, because uh, he's certainly uh, he's one of the he's an interesting character, that's for sure. Uh, just the sheer is, yeah. the sheer volume of shit that he did is like, wow, dude, you're really like, why, like I would just like to get into his head and find out what the fuck, you know, what 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 he thinks was motivating him and why he why he stopped then after after a while and everything. So yeah, that's um, it's just crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just it's weird because I do feel like people really really like the mystery. I mean, look at all the books and documentaries and stuff that are about Jack the Ripper. And I mean, at this right. point, I mean that was 1888. No one's we're never going to know who Jack the Ripper was. I mean, there's just probably no way. But it's just like every year, like tons of new books come out about it, and people argue about no, it was this guy, no, it was that guy. But it's like I feel like people just like the mystery. They like you know, their own, like, pet theory and stuff. And I think if they actually did somehow, like, definitively, like, prove who it was, I think that most people would just be, like, would just argue that that wasn't the right guy and they would just find other, you know what I mean? Just because they want to yeah. they want to hang on to the mystery. Because I think people, I mean, people like mystery, you know. That's just kind of a yeah. natural yeah. human thing. <laughs> exactly. Well, that was the, that was, like, that was, I guess, partially, too, the really awesome part and refreshing part of how the, the, Golden State Killer case ended where it was like, all right, they got him dead to rights, dude. They got him. They got the DNA. You know what I mean? It was like there was no. Yeah. This was not like some circumstantial thing. It's like, dude, you, yeah, you did it, man. Yeah, it was like a witness said this, and yeah, it was him. <laughs> yeah, it, that was like the stunning part too, because it's always sort of like, well, we, we have all this evidence, we think it's him. It's like, uh, now nah, they just got the DNA. You don't need any other fucking evidence, dude. We know for sure it's this guy. Like, this, what, yeah. why else? You know, how else can he explain how he was in the how homes of all these dead people? Like, it's pretty obvious this is the guy. Um, yep. So yeah, that's that's a that's a really wild case. Um, now another wild case. We'll pivot into some of these stories uh, featured in the. Featured in the book, we're going to start on Faceless, the Faceless Villain, Volume One. This is uh, the Horror in Room Ten Forty Six, uh, and I started reading up on this as I was going. I uh, tried to study as many of these cases as I could to find the ones that I thought re- that really stood out to me as like what, 
And this one was like the first one where I was just like, what the hell? I, and I kind of stopped reading about it because I'm like, all right, I, 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 I could spend all afternoon trying to find out about this case, and uh, I need to find out about some more of them. So tell me, now, now we're on the show here, tell me about the horror in room 1046. Yeah, this is a weird one. And honestly, this is probably, of all the cases I wrote about, I know this is a weird thing to say, but this is probably my quote-unquote favorite one, just in the sense that it's the weirdest, I can't, put my head into the victim's mindset or the killer's mindset. I have no idea what was going on in this situation. Um, I mean, I kind of have some theories about it. And another weird thing about it too, is that it really is not, I mean, it's relatively unknown, like for how weird it is. Like I've seen it come yeah, up on a couple of, of cases. Before. I think Buzzfeed unsolved did it. Um, you know, some other, a couple other places did it, but it's not one that comes up. Like it's not, it doesn't come up like the Velisca axe murders or, you know, the axe man of New Orleans or anything like that. It doesn't come up when you talk about like really weird cases, like from the early 20th century, even though it's super weird, but it happened in 1935 and it was just after the new year. So it's this hotel in Kansas city, Missouri called the hotel president. They're like, this guy comes in and checks in under the name Roland T. Owen. Um, all he said was that he was from Los Angeles. Um, he specifically asked for, a, for an interior room. He didn't want any windows that faced the street. So they take him up to his room. He seems pretty normal, although they did note that when he went into his room, like the bellboy saw, that he didn't have any luggage or anything. Like, you know, obviously he was wearing like an overcoat and pants and whatever they wore in 1935. Right. But all that he had with him was like a comb and a toothbrush and uh, a tube of toothpaste. That was it. Like he didn't have any other luggage or any other clothes or anything. So then he says, he tells the bellboy, well, I got to go back out. So he goes out uh, outside. Now the next morning, the maid comes to the room to clean it, but the door's locked. Now she knocks on the door and she's like, hey, you know, I need to clean the room. You know, are you going out? It's fine or whatever. And, and he's like, no, it's fine. You can clean the room. And he just like sat in there while she was cleaning it. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, and then he says, it's just, I love the details of this because it's just like, it just gets weirder and weirder. Like, I, I have no idea what the hell's going on in this case. But um, so she's cleaning the room and he's kind of sitting there. And he says, oh, by the way, don't, you know, don't lock the door because I'm expecting a friend to come over in a few minutes. Now, the, the lady that was the maid, her name was Mary Soptic. And uh, after, you know, the weird crime happened, she said that she's like, well, he stayed there a few days. And she's like, and he seemed kind of nervous. And she's like, and he always had the blinds closed. And the room was always dark, except for like the bedside lamp. That was only the only light that was ever on. So she says she's finishing cleaning the room. He puts on his coat, goes and combs his hair. And then he tells her again, don't lock the door. Like I'm expecting somebody. So then he leaves yeah. the room. So a few hours later, I think it was about six hours later. So the maid comes back and she's got a bunch of towels. Now the door was unlocked. So she went in and was like, Hey, I got towels. Now she said the dude was in the room, but he was fully dressed and he was laying on the bed and he didn't talk to her. And the shades were drawn like usual. The lamp was on. That was the only light. And on the dresser, she saw that there was a note. And it said, Don, I will be back in 15 minutes. Wait. 
So then the maid's like, okay, whatever this weird action is, and then she just leaves the towels and leaves. So then later that night, they're not actually sure if this was Roland T. Owen or not, but the guy, like, later the witness said that it was. But so later that night, it's about 11 p.m., there's this guy, and he's driving along uh, 13th Street, like, right in front of the, like, near the hotel, and he sees a guy who's wearing only pants, shoes, and an undershirt, and he's running down the north side of the road. So this guy uh, runs up to this guy's car, and he runs up to the driver's side window, and he said, oh, I thought this was a taxi. He's like, can you give me a ride to go get a taxi? And then, so the driver of the car, and he says that this guy, like, after the guy was murdered, he said this guy looked like Roland T. Owen, like the, the uh, picture that was in the paper. So he said yeah. this guy had, like, a big um, cut on his arm, and he said he had his, like, uh, his hand, like, cupped over it like, it, like he was trying to catch the blood or something. Oh, and uh, so, yeah, so the guy who's driving the car, his name was Robert Lane, so he says to this guy, he's like, uh, you know, yeah, you look like you got messed up or you got beat up or something like that. And apparently this guy said something like, I'll kill that fucker tomorrow or something like that. So he wow. said something like that. Yeah. So Robert Lane p- drops this dude off at an intersection where there was a cab. And then this dude, who's just running around in an undershirt with this big bloody cut on his arm, he, like, reaches into the taxi and, like, honks the horn because I guess the cab driver was, like, in a cafe or something. So he was, like, calling him. So the next morning, uh, the maid, who is Mary Sopcich again, she goes up to uh, room 1046. She said it was about 10.30 a.m. She says she could unlock the door with her pass key, which meant that the uh, that someone had locked the door from the outside, which you would assume that Roland had left the room and locked it from the outside like you're leaving the hotel for the day. But yeah. she goes in the room, and he's in there, and he's fully dressed, and he's just sitting there in the dark. So she's like, well, how is the door locked from the outside? That means somebody else left and locked it from the outside, so okay. So... She cleans the room and he's sitting there again. And then the phone rings and he picks it up and he says, no, Don, I don't want to eat. I'm not hungry. I just had breakfast. And then there's like a pause. And then he says, no, I'm not hungry. So then he hangs up and then he starts talking to the maid again. It's like, oh, you know, what's, what do you do at the hotel? And does some people live here? And he complained about some other hotel that he had stayed at that had like charged him more money, like for the same kind of room or something. Yeah. So, so then she leaves, um, and then later that day, she comes back to the room with fresh towels. She knocks on the door, but this time she hears two voices in the room. They're both men's voices. She said, hey, I've got towels, and then this other voice, she said it wasn't his voice. It was like this really gruff man's voice said, we don't need any, like mean. And so yeah. she just like was like, okay, fine, and like took off. So later that same night, there's a guy who's like an elevator operator, and he takes this woman up to the 10th floor. He thinks she was a prostitute because he'd seen her like around the hotel before. Now she said she was meeting somebody at room 1026, but there was some confusion about that because in the paper later, like after the murder happened, um, they said that Roland had been in room 1026 and not 1046. So they're not sure if this prostitute was actually going to that room or not. But so she went, she went along to the room, but then she came back to the elevator and she said, Oh, the guy's not there. I don't know what the hell happened. He's always there when he calls me. I don't know what the deal is. So it's like, so she just went back down and found some other client and then like she left later on. 
So then there was this other woman that was staying at the hotel. She was staying in the room like next door. And she said that um, there was a whole bunch of noise like that night coming from room 1046. She said, I heard two men and two women like talking really loudly and swearing like they were arguing. And she was going to like call the front desk, but then she said, you know, never mind. So then the next morning, seven in the morning, the phone operator who worked at the hotel, she came on duty and she said like, cause I guess like the old timey hotels like had those uh, switchboards. So the switchboard said that the phone in room 1046 was off the hook and no one was on there cause they picked it up and listened and no one was talking. So she yeah. waited a few minutes and then she sent the bellboy. She's like, go see what the hell's going on. So tell them to hang the phone up. So the bellboy goes up there. He knocks the do not disturb sign is on. He knocks and, uh, Nobody answers, but then he knocks again, and somebody said, come in. And the bellboy said, well, I can't come in because the door is locked from the outside or from the inside. So then he just kept yeah. knocking. And then the same voice said, turn on the lights. And he's like, I can't turn the lights on. I can't come in. Your door is locked. You have to get up. <laughs> so then he was, like, knocking, and he's like, dude, put the phone back on the hook. Your phone is off the hook. So he goes back downstairs. He's like, I don't know, man. He's like, the dude's probably drunk or whatever. So more than an hour, a little more than an hour later, um, they notice that the phone is still off the hook. So she sends another bellboy up there, a different one. So he goes up there, and he said that he could open the door with his pass key, which means that the door had been locked from the outside and not the inside. And before it was had been locked from the inside. So he goes Weird. in the room, and it's dark. Now he sees Roland T. Owen laying naked on the bed. Now initially he thought he was drunk. So the phone stand next to the bed had been knocked over. Um, so the the bellboy, whose name was Harold, he puts it back up. He puts the phone back on, and then he locks the door behind him. And he goes down. And he's like, yeah, man, that dude is, like, really, really drunk. So <laughs> two hours go by. Then they notice that the phone was off the hook again in that room. <laughs> so the first bellboy, Randolph, he goes back up to the room. Now, the door is still locked. The do not disturb sign is on. He knocks. He yells. There's no response. So he unlocked his door with the pass key and went inside. However, this time, uh, Roland was not drunk on the bed. He was actually just behind the door on his hands and knees, and he was, like, holding his head like he was hurt. So uh, the bellboy sees, like, blood coming out of Roland's head. So he turns on the lights and he's like the bed and the walls and the bathroom and the bedroom, there's blood everywhere. So Randolph is, yeah. So Randolph is like freaking out. So he's like, okay. So he goes and gets the manager and they call a doctor. They, you know, the ambulance, the police and everything. So they come back. Uh, Roland has fallen against the hotel door. So they always had to kind of like push him out of the way so they could like, cause he was like wedged against the hotel door. So he comes back in. Now Roland was still conscious when everybody got there. So they take him into the bathroom and they sat him on the side of the tub and he's like resting his head on the edge of the sink. Now the dude, when they examined him, the doctor came, he had been bludgeoned in the head um, and like he had a fractured skull. Um, It appeared that he had been restrained and tortured. Like he had uh, cords like around his ankles and his wrists and his neck. Um, He had bruises around his neck, like someone had tried to strangle him. And his chest was had, like, all these stab wounds in it, and one of his lungs was punctured. Jeez. So one of Yeah, so one of the cops is like, um, who did this to you? Roland says, nobody. 
so then they're like, well, did you try to commit suicide? And he said, no. And then they said, well, what happened? And he said, I fell against the bathtub. And then, so they take him to, they put him in the ambulance and take him to the hospital, but then he died. So, so after he died, wow. they, okay, so like, this isn't even, it just gets so weird. All right, so, so then, uh, you tell me if I'm going on too long about this one, but it's like. No, 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 no. Case, I, I feel like we're close to the end now, like, but I've, I've been riveted the whole time, so uh, I didn't, I didn't want to, uh, like, yeah, we're doing good. Yeah, this case is like really fascinating to me. So one of the weird things is like, so after the guy dies, they examine the dude's wounds and they're like, okay, well, the first weird thing is these wounds look like they were there for six hours before he died, which means that the time that the bellboy came up in there and saw him naked in the bed and like put the phone back on the hook, didn't see any of the blood or anything. Um, yeah. Even though it probably had been there, um, you know, also nobody had seen anybody going in or out of the room or anything. Another weird thing was that um, there were no clothes in the room. Like, all of the clothes that he had checked into the hotel in, like his overcoat and stuff, were all gone. Um, the only items they found in the room were uh, a torn label off a necktie, an unsmoked cigarette, a hairpin, a safety pin, and a little bottle of sulfuric acid, which had not been opened. Also, all the stuff that they give you in the hotels, like towels, soap, everything like that, that was all gone, too. Um, so everything was, like, in there. The only thing they found in the room that was, like, evidence was fingerprints. Like, there were four fingerprints, like, on the bedside table, but they were little, like a woman's hand, more like a ma- yeah. more than a man's hand. So then they start, like, looking into – they, you know, called the Los Angeles Police Department. They're like, hey, this dude named Roland T. Owen got murdered. And then they found out that Roland T. Owen was not the dude's name so now they don't know who this guy is so they basically they had to take him to like the funeral home and like put him on display so like people could come look at him to like (laughs) figure out who he was you know what i mean so it's like they found out that he had stayed at some other hotel the uh the mulebach hotel i think it was called like the night before but he went by the name eugene k scott he had been seen in a couple bars with a couple of women, like, on the nights before that. But they didn't really know that much else about him. So, uh, you know, two months go by. They're like, all right, they couldn't figure out who this dude was. So they buried him in a potter's field, or they were going to bury him in a potter's field. Like, there was, a, uh, there was an article about it in the newspaper. So then the funeral home, uh, who was doing the burial, they get a letter, like, from an anonymous woman who says, I'm sending you money to do a proper burial and a funeral. And, uh, you know, sh- and she sent like a bunch of money, like an envelope like, wrapped up in newspaper, like a bunch of cash. And um, she also sent money to like this flower company and said that she wanted 13 roses put on his grave. And the card should say, love forever, Louise. That's all. And she wouldn't say what her name was or anything like that. Yeah. So then, so they bury the guy. Now, May of 1935, which is a few months after he died, they did a write-up of it in uh, this magazine called American Weekly. Um, But it took, like, more than a year. Like, more than a year later, this woman was reading that magazine, and she's looking at the picture. They just had, like, the sketch of the the body, like the dead body. And she looks at it. She says, man, that looks just like my friend Ruby's son. 
So she had this friend named Ruby Ogletree, and she had a son named Artemis, and he was 17, and he had left Birmingham, Alabama back in spring of 1934, and nobody knew where he was. So she sends, like, the sketch to Ruby, and she's like, hey, is this Artemis? This looks just like your kid. And she opens it. She's like, oh, my God, that is my kid. But the weird thing is that she had already started to feel like something weird was happening because um, in April or in spring of 1935, she had got, like, these three letters in the mail that were supposedly from him, but they were typed, and he didn't know how to type. And also, she was like, the tone of it didn't really sound like him. And the letters said that he had married and was living in Egypt. So she had even, like, gone so far as to, like, call, like, the, you know, the consulate or whatever, like, in Cairo, being like, hey, can you find my son? He says he's there, and I don't think this doesn't really sound kosher. So she, the weird thing is that these letters came to her, like, way after he was dead. So whoever killed him had probably sent them, but... So whoever killed him must have known, like, what his real name was, like, who his mom right, was, right. all this other kind of stuff, because otherwise, like, how would they have known? But they're pretty sure, like, she just, um, she identified him. She identified, like, a scar that he had on his head. He had, like, a cauliflower ear, because I guess he'd been, like, a wrestler or a boxer or something. But it's yeah. like, they never did find out, like, who sent those letters. They never did find out, like, who sent the roses, who paid for the funeral, they really never found out anything like that, like why anybody would kill him, why he was acting so weird, like at the hotel, yeah. with all the weird phone calls and like all those. But yeah, so it's just like, it's so strange to me that this crime isn't better known because it's just like <laughs> one of the creepiest. It's really bizarre. Is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like I was reading... All the little details of it are so weird. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of <laughs> like, I, I was kind of, reading along uh, as it's, uh, when I was looking into it first, and then I'm like, all right, this is so weird. Like I said, I, I would have ended up spending – this is the kind of thing I'm going to probably spend the weekend now looking into this story and see <laughs> yeah. what else. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's really strange. My Yeah. <laughs> I, my only my, – my sort of first inclination is like that he somehow ran afoul of some prostitutes and, 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 and their pimp or something like that, but I don't even know how it was in the 30s, so who knows. But that's the only thing I can yeah. think of, but – I mean, it really, kind of really weird. Kind of, we did a show about it, like we um, on the podcast, and one of uh, you know Tom, my co-host, uh, one of his theories was like, I think that maybe this dude was like, um, like a gay gigolo, and like that was really not accepted back then. Right. So right. he's like, maybe. So maybe he like kind of got involved with that, and then like he got in trouble like for some other way, and like somebody killed him for that, or it could have been like a mob thing. It was, I mean, I'm sure it had something to do with crime. I mean, yeah, somebody yeah. that knew him killed him. It had to be. But they just, you know, they never figured out who it was. They didn't even know who he was for a really long time until his mom identified him just randomly. So, yeah, it's a really yeah, weird he clearly, <laughs> Yeah, he clearly got mixed up in something, got it over his head on something, but what it was, uh, yeah. I don't know. Now, when I was looking through the uh, through the cases here, what what stood out to me, um, I, I was going. I went through like each case and kind of just read, read a little snippet so I could know, uh, so I could find the ones that were really bizarre. But what stood out to me in the volume one is that there's at least uh, there's at least like three axe murders. So like, what the hell? Yeah. Why? <laughs> that was it's in my notes <laughs> that I sent to you. Why all the axe murders? <laughs> That's sort of like my Jerry Seinfeld. Like, who 
what's the deal with all the axe murderers? So what, what, is, what is that? What is that all about? Is this sort of like that was the thing to do back then? If you were going to murder people, you do it with an axe? Like what? I assume that's kind of where, where this sort of like I, I assume whatever this trend was is kind of where we got the, the iconog- iconog- I don't know what you call it, icon of, a, of an axe murderer. It's like, cause it's like where the hell did axe murderer come yeah. from? Then I'm looking in this book. It's like, oh, there's like shitload of axe murderers. So, I mean, what, I mean yeah. really, I don't think you necessarily might know this, but like what, what's your theory on why – there, there were so many axe murderers. I kind of feel like we talked about this a little bit. Like we did a show on Velisca, like the Velisca axe murders, very famous. We did one on the axe man of New Orleans, which is also a pretty famous case. I think what it might be, I think that people back in the early 20th century, one, were a lot more, particularly in rural areas, were a lot more uh, familiar and a lot more comfortable with uh, butchering animals. And also, I think it was because everybody had an axe. It was just something that everybody had like on farms and stuff. And I think it was just more convenient if you were going to kill somebody to not carry a weapon around with you, but just like, Hey, pick up an axe at somebody's farm because everybody had one and then just bash everybody's head in. Um, Because that's definitely what happened in the Velisca case. I mean, that was their axe that they used. Axe man of new Orleans. I mean, he very famously used the person's axe, you know, and then kind of cleaned it off or not even cleaned it off and then just like left it behind in the house. So it's like the, I guess that way, if you were seen like going to the scene or escaping from the scene, you wouldn't have a weapon on you. It was just like a weapon of convenience. That's my theory, but I'm not really sure. It might've just, I don't know. I don't know if it was just like really trendy. It was just like trendy to like, yeah, it's really, yeah. It's very strange though. Yeah. Like, if everybody had an axe, like, in their house nowadays, I mean, people probably have them, like, in their shed, maybe, some people, but it's like, if you had an axe just, like, like that, you know, near your TV, like, if everybody had an axe next to their TV, there'd probably be a lot more axe murderers if you just, uh, you know, it's just, uh, they're not as prevalent axes, I guess, uh, nowadays. Yeah, because you wouldn't have to bring it with you. And, I mean, another thing right. that kills me about a lot of these, uh, you know, well, another thing that kills me, I didn't really mean to use that. Okay, <laughs> yeah, no, no pun intended, right, yeah. yeah. Uh, but um, another thing that always, uh, you know, kind of blew my mind about particularly the Axeman of New Orleans case is that as much as um, he's kind of like, you know, really famous, like series of murders, a lot of his victims didn't die. And I was thinking to myself, you can really get hit in the head with an ax and not die. Yes. And apparently even back then, like with the, you know, crappy, much crappier like medical medical care they had back then like a lot of his victims lived like some of them like you know had their teeth knocked out like they didn't get their teeth back or anything like that but um a lot of them did live some of them did die too but a lot of them did live and i just that kind of blew my mind i mean velisca the thing about the velisca axe murders in iowa though i mean that person really wanted these people dead i mean he yeah he apparently went around the house and hit all of them in the head. and then he went back and did it again until their heads were just obliterated so but i mean axe man he would just kind of like sneak in to you know some somebody's house like usually grocers it was usually uh, italian immigrants also and he would just yeah. kind of bust in there. He didn't take anything. He didn't do it. He just, like, whacked him with an axe and left the axe and took off. I mean, that's kind of like how it was his old shtick. 
So it's very weird. I'd love to know, like, they never really kind of figured out serial killers till relatively recently. I'd love to know, like, yeah. what the, like, I'd love, I'd love to know sort of like how, who, I guess there's, some of them are profiled in this in the book in a sense, but it's like I'd love to know even further back, like what kind of serial killers were like running around that we never even heard of, you know, like in the 1700s or the 1800s or something like that. They had to be. They had to be people that were, that had the same predilections uh, for killing that we just never, they never put it all together, you know. It's very weird. Yeah, I'm sure. And the thing about it is that I feel like back in those days, unless it was somebody wealthy doing it, you know, like, you know, Countess Bathory or something, somebody like that, um, you probably wouldn't even know. I mean, even up until the Victorian era, I feel like, you know, if if a serial killer was targeting, you know, poor people, um, I don't think that would even necessarily, like, ping anyone's radar. Because the thing yeah. about it was that, I mean, police procedures were not even I mean they basically had to see you committing a crime in front of their faces before they could do anything about it. They didn't even have fingerprinting until, you know, the late nineteenth century, I think. So yeah. you know, so it's like they, they couldn't really do anything about it. It's like so pe and, you know, in sort of like really poor areas, people were just turning up dead all the time. So it was just kinda like, up oh, Yep. They're just getting killed. They're just getting killed all of it was just something that happened. So it's yeah, almost kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel like the, you know, the Maybe. modern conception of serial killer, it's like, I'm sure they had them back then, but, and, you know, we've talked about this on our show too. It's just like, I feel like it was much easier back then to get away with stuff. Cause you could just probably just kill like dozens of people and that it probably wouldn't even, no one would even notice, you know what I mean? Like yeah, depending on much, where, yeah. where you were and like who you were targeting, um, you know, yeah, even like, nowadays, like that's... sometimes, Crazy yeah. as it sounds, it's like as long as you didn't go like inset like crazy on the, <laughs> like crazy, you know, unless it was like unless it wasn't like so wildly it was such an insane murder that that they're like, all right, what the what the hell happened here? This guy cut off the, every, this guy's all this guy's toes, you know? It's like someone keeps cutting off right. toes, you you know? Then they're gonna then they're gonna notice that there's someone keeps running around killing people and cutting off their toes. But aside from that, you you probably you probably you could get away with it back then. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think the only reason that Jack the Ripper became you know well known was because of the disemboweling, just because right, it was exactly. so horrific. If he had just gone around stabbing women and then just taking off, I don't think we would even remember who he was nowadays. But I mean, I'm real. I've always been really fascinated with that really or that late 19th century, early 20th century crime, just because. You know, like I said, it's probably because it's a mystery. It's probably always going to remain a mystery because the crimes are so old. But I, I don't know. I just feel like serial killing, people kind of see it as a modern thing, but I really don't think it is. I mean, I do think that, you know, obviously the 60s and the 70s were like a really bad time for serial killing, and there was a lot of it going on. But I do feel like so much of it probably went on in the past that we don't even know of, like, knowledge of it is lost. Um, yeah, yeah. But – you know, I'm not saying, well, it's, 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 you know, e even nowadays, I feel like when you have like your, your highway serial killers, uh, you know, like Colonial Parkway killer and, you know, Long Island serial killer and uh, all of the, you know, Highway of Tears and, on the, you know, all that stuff. 
um, even now they can't kill they or they can't find you know people that travel around like that serial killers to travel around and target yeah uh, usually women that are you know drug addicts or you know sex workers or whatever and uh, you know they have a hard time catching those people even nowadays with all of the uh, all of the technology that we have so you know I'm sure it was like a lot more prevalent back in the old days. Right, right. Well, I talked about that with Robert Schneck earlier in the summer. We were talking about serial killers. It seems like, and it's funny, before you kind of like, uh, we, we both did this, where we're like, it's it's so awkward to say, like, the, the, the verbiage when you're talking about this stuff. It's like, well, this is my favorite case, or it's like, I'm a big fan of this case. It's like, it always feels yeah. so weird, but it's like, <laughs> it's like... It, it, it feels like maybe the golden era of serial killers is has is uh, is in the twilight, if not over. It's like all the all the crazy serial killers that we we kind of grew up on, um, you know, either got captured or dead, except for like the Zodiac. And it's like you don't you, you just don't hear. I mean, maybe I'm not as as connected as I as I would like to be, but it's like you just don't. I don't. Aside from the Long Island case, it's like I don't even know of any. Serial killers and the Highway of Tears thing is like an ongoing, you know, it's maybe not even necessarily like um, a killer, one killer, or maybe it's just like this body dumping area, you know, for all kinds of crazy people. But it just seems like, you know, I hear these stories about like in the 70s and shit, and they're like, they're freaking out in California. You know, this is the bedroom bashers fucking running around bashing people in their bedroom. and, And it's like, you know, none of that shit. Uh, happens. You, you don't really see that anymore nowadays, which is good. It's like I don't want. I don't want to be. I don't want to be going for my nightly walk and be worried that I'm going to encounter, you know, the the, the Burlington Strangler or whatever. But it's it's like you just don't you just don't see it anymore. It seems kind of weird that there's not as many serial killers nowadays, or at least uh, you know they don't become famous or whatever. Yeah, that's another thing that um, that we've talked about a lot on our show. Because that's something that I've always been really fascinated too. I feel like the, you know, the the peak of serial killers, I believe, if I'm remembering this correctly, uh, was 1989. Um, you know, mm-hmm. up to then, like from the 60s and 70s and 80s, it was like going up and up and up. And then 89 was kind of like the zenith, and then it started going down again. I don't know, like, you know, they're still out there, obviously, but I think it might be right. a combination of one. Um, you know, the media not trying not to um, glamorize them maybe by giving them like a cool name and uh, yeah, all this other yeah. kind of stuff to kind of discourage it. Another thing too, and this is something that we've talked about a lot on our show is that I think the advent of the internet has really helped some people that might have become serial killers back in the sixties and seventies, but now they kind of have an outlet. I mean, if you look at somebody like, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer, for example, um, who had these particular, he was, you know, gay, but he was like self-hating. Um, you know, he had all this kind of shame about it and he had all these, you know, weird kind of fetishes and stuff. I feel like nowadays it's much easier to find other people that have your same fetishes or have your same, you know, sexual proclivities or whatever and you mm-hmm. can maybe have an outlet where you can talk about that with other people and you don't feel so weird or you don't feel so alone. And so right, right. I think sometimes people might not feel the same need to lash out. I mean, I do like nowadays it seems like 
more uh, mass shooter is more the thing nowadays right, yeah. rather than, yeah, kind of rather than serial killer, which, you know, that's not good either, but that's like right. a completely different, I mean, that's a different psychological profile altogether, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, that's like a whole different phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Is that, it's funny, I was on a conspiranormal uh, episode, we were kind of, Somehow it got into serial because I mentioned that theory too about the internet. Um, I think that I've heard that before that it's like, uh, yeah. yeah, it 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 offered like this connectivity where people could, uh, you know, find some like you said, find some kind of outlet that might uh, mitigate whatever feelings they have yeah. that would cause them to kill. So it's uh, very yeah. interesting. Well, it's also too a situation where it's like, like you were saying, there are still serial killers running around, and I'm very often. Uh, Maybe if it's the cops don't want to scare people or they haven't put two and two together, or then it's like sometimes you don't find out that there's a serial killer running around until they catch him if they do. Like Jeffrey Dahmer, right? They yeah. never, they yeah. weren't like, oh, there's a whole bunch of people disappearing and whatever. It's all of a sudden they caught him and they're like, oh shit, you're the reason why X, Y, and Z and A, B, and C and all these other people were disappearing. Like, oh shit. Yeah. yeah so. They're like, well, maybe we should have done something about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> One of the scarier things I've heard, too, is, uh, yeah, somebody once made the observation that it's like uh, the the scariest serial killers are the ones you never hear about because they're so good they never get caught. You know, they never yeah. even get on the radar. So it's like, you know, that cross-country trucker out there is I'm sure there's got to be one, if not two, that are just – just traveling across the country, I, killing people. I know they've caught a couple of people I like kinda, that already. So yeah. Yeah, I kind of feel like there's a lot of those. I mean, creepily, because I mean, look at a place like uh, the Texas Killing Fields, where I mean, they know for a fact just from some of the people they've caught. I mean, there's you know like 40, 50 bodies have been found there, and like a lot more women and girls have gone missing in that area, and they don't know where they are. Um, and they've caught at least three or four dudes that they know have killed like one or two of those women, but they don't think they killed any of the other ones. So it's like, you're looking at a very large handful of probably long haul truckers that are just driving through this area. And I guess, I don't know if they have some kind of network where they're just like, Hey, this is the place where you dump stuff, where you dump bodies. Or if it's just like, you see it and it's just like an obvious place. I mean, that was one of the most horrifying things like for me to read about because I was like, well, they caught like three or four people for, you know, this crime, this crime, this crime, but they know that they didn't do these other dozen over here. So there's got to be at least one or two other ones running around out there that they haven't caught yet. Um, So that's like really creepy. And they're all like dumping bodies in the same place, which is really bizarre. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. It's creepy, yeah. Yeah, you wonder, like, yeah, if it's, like, a learned thing or if it's, like, some, some kind of competition or something. Who knows? It's very uh, it's very weird. Now, this is kind of a pivot from anything that uh, I said in the notes, but this reminded me. Um, have you ever looked at the smiley face killers theory? I've kind of I've kind of delved into it a little bit, but part of me thinks, like, that it's, that it's a, like, you know, a psychological paradelia type thing where it's, like, okay, we're – they're trying to – you know they've connected the dots here on something that there are that doesn't really work. But maybe I'm wrong because I haven't looked into it deeply enough. Have you looked at this smiley face killers theory? We did. We actually did a show about that a while back. Um, I kind of agree with you. I feel like most of the cases are probably accidents. 
Um, there were like one or two in there that I think were murders, but I don't think it's a serial killer that's going around doing this. Or actually, I think a lot of people have a theory that it's kind of like a cult of serial killers. Like they kind of get yeah, together yeah. on the deep web and they do this and that. See, I don't really, I don't, I don't really subscribe to that idea. There's another, uh, you know, I'm sure you probably heard of it, but in the UK, there's kind of an analogous case uh, called the Pusher, where supposedly like all these people in Manchester, like usually dudes are falling into the canals and drowning. And they think that there's like some serial killer, like pushing them into the canal. Like that's his modus operandi yeah. is that he's likes to push people in a canal. But the more that they've done the research on that, they're like, look, they're like the canals are like, they don't have railings in a lot of places. There's a lot of bars close by. They're like, it's usually like college age dudes that tend to go out on the weekends and get drunk and, uh, you know, might be peeing in the canal, and then they fall in there, and they drown, and it's really cold. They can't get out because the sides are really high. So I feel like right. that might be the same thing that's happening with the smiley face. Now, there were a couple cases. I think there was one or two cases in particular that did look like they were murders, um, just in the sense that one of the guys was kind of beaten up or, like, the way they found the body. But I think most of the other ones are probably accidental, like people just drinking and you know, too much and like kind of wandering or falling into the water, things like that. Because I've seen like, they're like, oh, you know, we find like artwork of smiley faces like right around. But I've seen the artwork and it's like the one, none of them look alike. And two, they kind of go far afield. Like I was like, how far away does the smiley face have to be to like, be connected to that because right, right, it yeah. seems like you're just gonna you're just gonna drive around for miles until you find one and that's kind of where it just seems like a reach um right yeah, i could yeah, be yeah. wrong but it, it would be like the weirdest serial killer mo ever i was like why why would you drown people and just make it look like an accident that i don't know it just seems very strange to me but it's yeah, possible yeah. but i doubt it i, I doubt it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm in. I'm in the same boat. Yeah, I'm kind of, and I always sort of roll my eyes because like I'll be on Reddit or one of these other sites, just true crime ones, and it'll come up, and people will like put forward this wild theory about like a deep underground satanic group of serial. It's like this is such a like like, like that's terrifying, and I don't believe it. I'm sorry, but like uh, you know, there's a part of me that likes this creepiness. That's like I would love, <laughs> you know. Again, we go back to the use of words, but it's like I would love for that to be true. But I doubt that there's an underground <laughs> cult of serial killers painting smiley faces everywhere. Like that's just too. That's like DC Comics level crazy shit, man. That's not even, you know. That's that's. Uh, <laughs> That's really wild. Um, without any sort of like, it's not like anyone's ever come forward and been like, I was part of the the cult, and I'm going to tell you all. It's just, it's all supposition. So, it's uh, yeah. And it's, I mean, yeah, if, if they weird. if they were into that and they wanted everybody to know about it, then you'd think that they would have like a standardized smiley face, and they would exactly. put it definitively like by where the body was. Like if they wanted to make a statement of that kind, I mean, if that's what they wanted to do, it just, I don't know. It just, it comes off as very like satanic panic to me, uh, you know, which, which I lived through in the eighties. And it's just like back then they were just like, Oh, it was ever all around the country. There's all these cults and they're sacrificing babies and they're doing this, that, and the other. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, none of, none of that was happening. You know what I mean? It's just like, there's maybe one or two cases where somebody was wearing a black cloak and, you know, sacrifice and drew a pentagram or something like that. But it wasn't this big network of, you know, stuff right. going on. It's, I, I always feel like, I, 
I'm not a big conspiracy theory person. I know that conspiracies exist, but I feel like the bigger it gets, the less the less likely it is to be true. <laughs> just because yeah, yeah. Well, I kind of mentioned the logistics the... of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I I kind of mentioned this on the show because we're getting into like uh, sort of the QAnon stuff and like all these secret, you know, especially the point I was trying to make that with with this rant on a different show was like. These crime, these alleged crime rings being orchestrated by like the super powerful or whatever. Like more often than like not, that anyone who's committing like some heinous crime, like they don't want other people to fucking know about it. It's hard to keep a yeah. secret like that. So why would yeah. why would a whole bunch of like famous people be be murdering people? It's like that's just not that's just not plausible in the least. Um, so yeah, that that always sort of struck me as. Uh, that's kind of strange, um, that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. The, the <laughs> like smiley face killer. Not, impo- not impossible, but implausible. Implausible. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we gotta spread this stuff around. Let's put it on the internet. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Great heavens. What kind of radio show is this? Now, let me see which uh, – I'll be telling another story here from the book. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the option because uh, we may not get to all of them. So so which one would you like to do? Uh, who put Bella in the witch elm or uh, Gunter stole the Yogsi case? Uh, let's do Yogsi because that's a pretty weird one too. Okay. Now, the weird th- – the strange thing about this case is that no one is entirely sure because there's not a huge amount of sourcing on this. Um, so some people have said that maybe it's a hoax, um, but I'm not real sure. It supposedly happened in 1984. So there's this guy and his name's Gunter Stoll. And, uh, he had been a food engineer and he lived in Anshausen, Germany. Now he lost his job. Um, and he kind of started to go a little loopy after that. I guess he started getting like paranoid. And he started, mm-hmm. like, telling his wife that there was these peop- these them, you know, they, they're out to get me. Um, you know, they're going to hurt me. They're going to kill me. Um, but he wouldn't tell her why. So the wife was kind of like, uh, okay, bro, whatever. She just, like, was thinking he was just kind of losing his mind. Um, but then October 25th, 1984, um, they're sitting at home. Gunter... Uh, it's about 11 o'clock. He suddenly jumps up out of his chair and says, now I've got it. And then he writes down on a piece of paper, the letters Y O G apostrophe T Z E. Now some people have said that maybe it's Y O six T Z E, but it doesn't really matter because nobody knows what it means. So he writes it down. And then like, as soon as he writes it down, he scratches it out. And then a little bit later, he leaves the house, and he goes to a bar that was near his house. He sits on a stool. He orders a beer, but apparently he didn't even drink any of the beer. But then he fell off the stool and, like, busted his face up on the floor and, like, knocked him out for a couple of minutes. So they kind of wake him up or whatever. He leaves the bar. He gets back into his car, which was a Volkswagen Golf. Now, nobody knows who, where he was for the next couple of hours. The next place he turns up is this place called, and I'm sure I'm butchering this name because I'm not German, uh, but it's called Heiger Seelbach, I guess. 
Um, he had grown up there. So he turns up in this town, and it's like 1 or 2 in the morning at this point. So 1 o'clock in the morning, he shows up on the doorstep of this woman that he had known like a long time ago. She had like been his babysitter or a tutor or something like that. I can't really remember. So Mm -hmm. he's knocking on the door. It's one in the morning. She's like, "Um, no, you can't come in. It's one in the morning. Uh, Why don't you go to your parents' house? Because I guess I don't know if his parents like still, his parents still lived in this town. So uh, he tells her something really horrible is going to happen. That's all he said. And then he took off. So then another two hours go by, and nobody knows where he was. Then 3 o'clock in the morning, there's these two truck drivers, and uh, both of them independently called the police and reported that they saw a wrecked VW Golf in a ditch on the side of the Autobahn. So one of the truckers runs to the emergency phone, and the other trucker like goes up to the car to see if he can help the driver. So Gunter Stoll is in the car. Um, he's clearly pretty messed up. He's like kind of banged up. Uh, he was also completely naked. So the guy asked him, he's like, <clears throat> excuse me. The guy's like, so, uh, what's going on? What happened? So Gunter <laughs> says, there were four other guys in the car with me, but they're not my friends. And he wouldn't, but he wouldn't say who they were. So the police show up, they put him in an ambulance, uh, but he died on the way to the hospital. Now, when they do, like, the autopsy or, you know, the postmortem or whatever, they find out that the accident, like, the way that the car, his car was wrecked, they're like, yeah. he didn't get those injuries from that accident. They think that he was actually run over by a different car, like, Holy while shit. he was naked, and then somebody put him back in his own car. So they asked the truck drivers, who were the first people on the scene, they're like, okay, well, did you see anything weird? And they said, well, I saw this one guy who had, like, a white jacket on, and he was kind of near the car, but, you know, by the time we got up there, he had already run away. Um, And then the other trucker said, I saw this dude, like, hitchhiking on an off-ramp, but that was, you know, they never found either one of those guys. Yeah. So the thing about it is that they don't know if, like, the note that he wrote, like the Yogsi thing, they don't know if that had anything to do with um, with how he died or, like, if somebody was actually, like, look, they don't know if it was, like, a, you know, maybe it was a license plate number or um, oh. people said maybe it was, like, maybe it was, like, a, um, like a radio station call sign um, or some people have said, oh, maybe it had something to do with, like, his job, like, because he was, like, a food, like, engineer guy. Maybe that was like some kind of chemical, uh, you know, whatever. Um, they're like, well, maybe he was involved in some kind of industrial espionage. Maybe he was like, got in with a drug dealer. They don't really know because he had been like really paranoid about somebody trying to kill him. And he did seem to know that something bad was going to happen because he told that woman in the town, but then he was just like out driving around like randomly. And then apparently someone took all his clothes and put him in the road and then ran him over and then put him back in his car. Um, Very weird. Although some, yeah, some people have said maybe he didn't, maybe he just had like a psychotic break and he took off all his clothes and then just ran out on the Autobahn. Somebody hit him with their car and then they were like, well, shit, I don't want to get in trouble. So they just like put (laughs) him in his own car and just like, yeah, I'm out of here. Bye. You know, so so that might've happened too. It might've just been, he might've just freaked out. Um, And it might not have been like people stalking him or whatever, but um, yeah. So it's weird because, 
the only, really the only source of this was like, there was a, there was a German crime show that came out in 1985 that talked about this on there. And then there was like an article in a German newspaper about it. Um, But like I said, I found it, but it was all in German and I had to like translate it to like to get all the details. But um, that's kind of like the only source for it. So some people said, Oh, maybe it's just like an urban legend. Like maybe it didn't really happen, but, um, but I'm not really sure. So it's like, well, I thought I'd put it in the book anyway, because it's like a really weird case and it comes up on a bunch of, a uh, bunch of lists and stuff, and I thought it would be yeah a good thing to talk about. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool story. It's a cool story. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, it, it, make, it really makes you think that one. Um, yeah. Have Have you ever? I stumbled upon this guy. I don't know his name uh, off the top of my head. I'll have to look him up eventually. I was going to have him on the show, but I never got around to it. But have you, uh, with regards to the Zodiac Killer, have you ever heard the theory that there was no Zodiac Killer? That it was all a fabrication of, uh, you know, the guy from the newspaper and his buddy on, on the police force, that it was all kind of like a, a creation, uh, you know, for sensationalism and not necessarily that there was actually a serial killer, uh, you know, named the Zodiac because all the murders are – a lot of them are very different from each other, at least the cab driver murder and the, uh, and, you know, the Lover's Lane murder. And even, and then, you know, and then there's even the one where he's running around in the costume. It's like none of these really kind of fit together. They're all kind of weird seem like all different crimes it's like uh the theory is that you know the newspaper guy created the whole thing as as part you know to to gin up you know sensationalize things get things you know get people excited to sell newspapers have you heard that theory before i had heard that theory i don't know a great deal about it but yeah we did a show yeah that's about all i know and i was (laughs) yeah i was just i was just kind of like now when we did a show about it it does seem like the kind of, you know, there were three or four of the canonical murders that did seem similar, but yeah, the cab driver one seemed, I'm not saying it wasn't the same guy that did it, but it did seem different. Like, uh, you know, it happened like on a crowded street. He just kind of like did it randomly. And it's, you know, it's just, it didn't seem like the same, you know, the the same modus operandi. It didn't seem like the same guy, but you know, I I don't know. It, It might be, it's just, I don't know if, I don't know. I don't know if a newspaper guy would be that uh, would would really go to those lengths, like right, sensationalized right, yeah. stuff, like to link together murders. Maybe they would. I mean, you know, sometimes people like every now and then someone's depravity or whatever will surprise me. But I do feel like in general, most people wouldn't do that type of thing. But yeah, it's a pretty know. audacious thing to do. It is. It is. Um, and if you, you know get caught, I mean? you're like pretty fucked. Like, if you're not in legal yeah, trouble, like seems, you're, you know, you're a pariah yeah. for for, <laughs> for doing it. It seems, yeah, it seems like it wouldn't be worth it. Like, it's, I mean, the reward for it would be like, oh, you know, we sold like a whole bunch of papers. I got a raise. Is like, but you know, if you get found out, you know, your career's over, your life's over. It's like everyone's just gonna shun you. Eight. So. Yeah, it just seems like it wouldn't be. Yeah, it seems like it wouldn't be worth it. But I don't know. I mean, people have done dumb things that weren't that really didn't seem worth it to me before. So it's possible, but I don't know. Yeah. Again, possible but implausible. <laughs> there you go. Now this this may be rendered <laughs> moot by all these. Uh, it's funny because everyone's like worried about privacy, but then all these people are doing these DNA things. So it's like eventually it will probably be to the point where. This would not be moot, but I, 
I came up with an idea to, that I think they should do, but other people have said, oh, I don't know, I think that's an invasion of privacy somehow, which I don't agree with. But here's my, here's my proposal, if I could ever get in front of someone who could make this happen. I don't know who. The president. Um, uh, what, they should make a law, right? When you die, they, can take, they take your DNA and put it in a giant database for the purpose of solving cold cases. I feel like that's, that's only fair. I feel like that's fair. It's like you're dead. You don't have any rights. It's not an invasion of privacy. You're already dead. So we're going to just take your DNA in the event that you were some kind of crazy serial killer or a serial rapist or even a one-time criminal. That way we can clear the books on that, on that crime. I feel like that's fair. I feel like that should, be, that should be the law, but I don't know. What do you think of that idea? Yeah, I actually, I actually like that idea. I mean, I don't really have a problem – I mean, because I, I think most places now will take DNA from, uh, you know, people who get arrested or who get convicted of certain crimes. Uh, right, you know, that's which, already, yeah, California, is, that's like the law. Right, sure. which I, yeah, I'm pretty sure that that's the law in most places now. And like you said, I mean, once the person is dead, it's like they don't really have any claim. They don't have any right anymore. Um, I guess, you know, their family could argue that about that because it's like, oh, it's kind of our DNA too, but whatever. Um, I, you know, I do feel like that would probably help solve a lot of crimes because, like, you know, even if the guy's dead, at least you can say, oh, well, he's dead, but he did this and that and the other thing. Or maybe he was related to somebody that did that, that did one. Um, exactly. You know, just like they did with – right. So, yeah, so, I, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't really have an issue with that. I mean – yeah. I don't. I don't really have any particular. I mean, you know, as far as privacy goes, yeah, I don't want people going through my stuff. I don't want people going through my social media and stuff like that. But I don't really. I don't. For some reason, I don't really. I'm not really bothered by people like giving my DNA. It's like I don't know. It just it doesn't bother me. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. Some people are really <laughs> weird about it. So yeah. But yeah. like I said, I think that's just kind of fair. As as fucked up as it sounds, it's like all right. Well done, you know, sicko. You managed to, you, you know, you killed like 40 people. We never caught you. You're dead. Let's just, you know, we get the guy's DNA and then it's solved. It's like, all right, well, this was the guy. There's no doubt about it. So I feel like that would that would go a long way to, uh, to clearing some of these cases up. But, you know, do yeah. you think they'll ever solve the Zodiac case? Because with the Eurons thing, when that happened, that was that was what everyone was like. Oh shit! Now now do now do Zodiac, and it's like, well, they don't necessarily yeah. have the enough DNA, but maybe they do, and it's kind of like uh, it's the kind of thing that I wouldn't have to be stunned if I turn on the news tomorrow and they you know they're carting some old dude out, and they're like, yeah, we found the Zodiac, same same way as we got uh, the Golden State Killer. But then there's also it's like time time keeps moving on, and it's like at some point these you know they're not going to arrest Jack the Ripper, right? So. Um, yeah. I mean, what do you what do you think? Do you think that's ever going to get solved? I kind of, yeah, I'm I'm optimistic about it. I mean, I thought that too. Like as soon as they caught uh, as soon as they caught Golden State Killer, I was kind of like, oh, maybe they'll get the Zodiac now because everybody wants to know who the Zodiac is, right? So, um, yeah, you know, although I I suspect, I don't know, a lot of this year, I was actually surprised when they caught the Golden State Killer. I was. I was shocked that he was still alive because we had said like on our show, they're like, he's dead. He's got to be dead. There's like, why did he stop killing people? But so I was like, so that was the one thing we got wrong. We thought he was dead or that, or that he had like broken into somebody's house and they had shot his ass and then like just buried him in the yard. 
because they're just right, like, right. you know what I mean? Hey, this is the, you know, Vidalia Brandsack or whatever they called him, like, uh, you know, because he had a bunch of different names. And they were just like, I'm just going to, like, cut him up and feed him to my dogs. And, like, you know what I mean? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's what we thought. We thought that he had been committing a crime and he had died, and that's why he – but the, that's interesting is that – I don't know, like – I feel I feel like they probably will catch the Zodiac. I was, but I was thinking about when I was thinking about serial killers that stop. I was actually thinking about BTK because he stopped right. for a real long time too. And I've actually read um, a book that is all his confessions, like all the letters that he wrote to uh, Catherine Ramsland. I think is uh, who oh yeah, he's a really chatty guy. He's like he's probably one of he the creepiest of them all because he he won't shut up. He like talks. <laughs> He loves yeah. talking about murdering people. Yep. And his <laughs> being inside his head is just so strange. It's just he has yeah, all yeah. these bizarre – just the way that he talks is bizarre, the way that he thinks is bizarre. Like he thinks he's like on spy missions and stuff. It's like he has – everything has code names and acronyms and I don't know. He yeah, just, he, yeah. He just goes on these little missions and it's – he just like the weird like fantasies that he has. They're just like so so strange. But it's like if somebody like that could stop, um, then I guess other serial killers could stop too. Because for a long time I was like, well, if you know if a serial killer killed you know a dozen people, twenty people, whatever, and they never caught him, and they haven't caught him by now, I said, oh, he probably died. That's why he stopped. But maybe not. Not necessarily because BTK wasn't dead. And he killed a bunch of people, and then he just stopped. Right, he right. Got too busy. And if it wasn't, he, got, he had a family and kids and stuff. And yeah, that's, that's the know. theory with Golden State Killer, and also uh, yeah. some of these guys in general, where it's like uh, they get older, they have kids, um, you know, they get into their forties, and their testosterone level drops down, and they don't, and they're just not physically fit enough to be running around murdering people, and so at some point they have to like. It's as fucked up as it sounds. It's like an athlete, you know. They hit yeah. that age where they're like, I can't do this anymore. I, I have all these injuries from murdering people and shit. And, you know, a couple of them almost got away. And this is getting, this is, you know, I'm really, I just, I just don't have it anymore, man. I just can't, I just can't be the BTK anymore. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess, um, I guess it does happen. Like when dudes get older, they're just kind of like, they don't have the same. Because I think a lot of serial killing is motivated by, like weird sexual proclivities. And I feel right, like right. as that mellows out, as you get older, you just don't feel the same, you know, drive to do that anymore. Um, so maybe, yeah, maybe that's what it is. Cause I, I definitely think, I mean, BTK said that it was just because, you know, he had kids and he was busy and, you know, when he was occupied, like with his family and stuff, he wasn't really thinking about it. He only really thought about it like when he went out on business trips and when he was away from home, when he was away from like the stabilizing influence, I guess, of like his family. I couldn't imagine being, I mean, that, that dude's, that, that dude's poor kids, man. I can't imagine how it feels. Have you read the book? She did. I haven't read it. I haven't read it. But yeah, yeah. I saw a few interviews with her and I'm like, I can't imagine. God, yeah, it's like, pretty that? wild. That'd be a serial killer. That must be messed up. And she didn't know, you know. Yeah, well, that's the that's the thing. I've seen uh, sort of throws back in a sense what we were talking about, like when these things get solved. It's like, I, 
I didn't necessarily see it with BTK, but I was sure if there was internet was as prevalent as it is now, this would have been the case. But like with the Golden State Killer, it was like everybody, so many people still to this day, even though his wife said that he said he was doing all this stuff. He was out hunting. He was going on a hunting trip. He was going to see his parents. That's when he was doing this. She had no idea. There are people who still like insist that oh she had to know. She had to have known that this guy was out committing all these crimes. He could because he did so many crimes. It's like how could she not have possibly ever put two and two together that this guy was uh was, you know, the Golden State Killer or the East Area Rapist. Like how could she not have known? So it's a very interesting these poor people forever fall under this cloud of suspicion uh whether they deserve it or not. You know, it's it's an unfortunate turn of events. It really is. And the thing about it is that depending on what your relationship is like, I'm like, you know, when I was growing up, if, you know, if my dad was a serial killer, he's not, I don't think, but um, if my dad was a serial killer, I wouldn't have known. I mean, especially when you're a kid or even if it's your wife, it's like, you know, he goes off to work every day. You you know, he's at work, you know, and, you know, on the weekends, he's like, oh, I'm going out hunting with the, with the buddies or whatever. You're like, okay. You don't think twice about it. You don't think, oh, maybe he's a serial killer. I mean, unless right. he comes home covered with blood or something like that, it's like that wouldn't, you know, you love yeah. that person. You married that person. That's not the first thing that you would jump to. You know what I mean? It just, you know, even like uh, Ted Bundy's girlfriend, she was the one that kind of shouldn't turn him in exactly, but she was kind of the one that, you know, alerted the police. And that always kind of blew my mind too, because it's like you would think that you wouldn't, I mean, if that's your boyfriend, you wouldn't really think that he was a serial killer. So it's like going so far as to, like, call the police and say, hey, I think my boyfriend might be a serial killer. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like that's going to be – that's really ballsy, I mean, to do that. Because I think most people would just, like, be like, no, no, it can't be. You'd try to talk yourself out of it because, you know, you know that person. That person can't be a serial killer. But, you know, serial killers know people, too. So exactly, yeah. Some people do know serial killers, and it's like whether you know it's a serial killer or not. Yeah, it's wild like that. Yeah, that's a nice thought. That's a nice thought, isn't it? Good night, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Sleep well. Sleep well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, Jim Vujovic in the chat, uh, he says in response to the the YOG posture TZE, he says uh, or he theorizes, let's say. Because uh, I don't know necessarily if he's if he if he's fluent in German or whatever, but he says it's a con- it's a contraction for the German Yoglutz, meaning I'm smoldering or uh, I'm gagging, I'm yawning or I'm protecting. So that's his theory that the uh, Y O G apostrophe T Z E is is a uh, German for Yoglutz, a, con- a contraction. I don't. I mean, huh. I don't know. Yeah. I never heard so, that theory before. That's very. I yeah. wonder if that's true. That's very interesting. He also, so he just wrote I, that on a piece of paper, and then he's like, ah, forget it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know what that, yeah. Uh, and the other thing he um, he said was uh, he also theorized with regards to the uh, to the horror of Room 101046. He theorizes uh, that when he said, Don, I just hate, he was speaking in code. So... Yeah, I kind of suspect that as well. I mean, because I don't, I don't know if this Don person like was the one that killed him. In fact, it probably was. But I do think there was a bunch of code talking going on. 
for right. sure. Right. Yeah, it seems that way. Because I, I because I think there was like illegal activity. I, I don't know what kind of illegal activity, but he was involved in some illegal activity. So yeah, I think that's I think that's definitely the case. Now another uh, famous case uh, that that I don't really even need to pontificate much about it because uh, I. I, I, I I want to find out your thoughts. What do you What do you think of the John Benet Ramsey case? That's probably, uh, you know, that's one of the handful. We don't get as we, it seems like nowadays with the technology and everything, we don't get as many long-standing unsolved mysteries. Um, you know, oftentimes people screw up and they get caught right away. Uh, there's just so much. There's just so many ways to get caught now. It's crazy. Um, yeah. That that that. That one came a little bit before some of the stuff, but there's still DNA and everything. So I guess what's your what's your take on that case? Because it's always fascinated me. Because um, there's just so many weird elements to it that's like it, you have one theory, but there's like one or two parts of it that don't make sense with the theory. But I think what's interesting before I look, <laughs> before I turn it over to you, because um, I you know I, I I'm a crazy ass true crime follower, but it's like oftentimes in these cases. The things that don't like make any sense are just like things that kind of happen by happenstance. You couldn't necessarily explain, right? You know what I mean? It's just like, well, that's just the way the lamp fell when the thing happened. It wasn't in- intentionally placed there, or whatever. So, uh, yeah, what do and you? That's, that's weird. Yeah, that's something that uh, that we've talked about before because I was, um, I think it was when we were on the show talking about the horror in room ten forty six. But it's like a lot of details that look weird in hindsight, like at the scene, were actually, if you had been there and seen the crime happen, it wouldn't have been weird. It didn't really have anything to do with, you know, it just looked strange because somebody got murdered. So it's like, it seemed like everything was significant. Um, exactly. Some of the stuff exactly. might not have been. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I do feel like there's an element of that. So it's like you never, because you always kind of have to err on the side of, well, this might be a clue, you know what I mean? So it's like everything exactly. has to be a clue until they can determine that it's not a clue. Um, yeah, it's like, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm very like ambivalent about the Jean Benet case in the sense that it seems like it all, it almost seems to me equally plausible that it's just a stranger, like a random person did it or that the parents did it. Although it did seem like, I mean, they did DNA in what, 2008, something like that. And they said that that exonerated the family. Um, I know some people think that maybe the son did it and the parents were like covering up for him. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I buy that. I mean, it's, it's implausible for like just a stranger to bust into a house and kill somebody and like put them in the basement or whatever, but it's not impossible. And I have written about some cases where that exact thing happened, where some dude just like climbed in the window and just took somebody like out of their bed when there was like somebody next to him in the bed, you know what I mean? And they yeah, didn't yeah. even wake up. So it does happen. Um, it's just, it's unusual. But I don't know. It's just, it's weird because it has a lot of simila- similarities to the um, the Madeline McCann case. Uh, yeah, yeah. Where I feel like the parents kind of got raked over the coals in that one too. And I'm pretty sure they didn't have anything to do with it. Um, you know, other than maybe being like leaving the kid alone when maybe they shouldn't have. But even that, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah. Like I said, I don't. I, I didn't really follow the John Bonet case a lot. Like I did when it first came out, but like I didn't really follow any subsequent uh, things about it. So yeah, yeah. 
I'm not really, yeah, I'm not really sure where I stand on it. I hate to like always, because I feel like the parents in those cases always kind of get the shit end of the stick because people are always going to think, you know, right, that the yeah. parents had something to do with it. Because, you know what I mean? It's like whenever somebody gets murdered, they're always like, oh, the, you know, it's somebody that knows you because most of the time it is. But, and when, you know, when children get murdered, a lot of times it's somebody that knows them, not necessarily a parent, but it's, you know, sometimes right, somebody right, in yeah. their family or somebody that knows them. So it's like, I can see why that's, you know, why people do that. But in in another way, I do feel like it's kind of, it's kind of shitting on them too, because it's like, you know, if they didn't do it, then everyone's been treating them like crap. And it's like, and yeah, you know, and they, lo- yeah, they and lost the daughter. Died. So it's like another yeah. thing that's piled on top of them. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if they necessarily had anything to do with it. I don't know if they had any reason to, maybe it was an accident and they tried to, you know, make it look like a murder, but that's kind of all. I don't know if anybody actually like meant to kill her. If, I, I mean, yeah. if it was them. You the know wildest. I mean? I mean, obviously. What's the, that? I was going to say, the wildest part of that story, I don't know if you remember this. Uh, you probably do because it, like it was like a sensational moment, was when like that crazy-ass fucking guy in Thailand was like, yeah, I did it. And they're like, what the fuck? This is like, had to be like within the last <laughs> 10 years. You remember this? And they like they like I don't I don't actually oh yeah 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 it's I, it's got to be on the John Benet Ramsey like Wikipedia but some dude in Thailand was like yeah I did it and I, I guess enough I guess like you know he had been in the area at the time or so there was enough there that they were like did they fucking like shackled his ass and threw him on a plane and brought him back to Colorado and. And um, it was like, this is it. This is it. They got him. They got him. And then it turned out he was just crazy. And, and uh, you know, there's no way he could have done it. Um, I think he still insists that he knows that, he, you know, that it was a two-man job or something crazy like that. But, like, somehow they somehow they were like, no, he's crazy. But it was like headline news sometime within the last yeah. ten years or so that they, yeah, it was like, what the fuck? This is, it was kind of very era, very uh, Golden State Killer-esque where it was like, what the hell? They, <laughs> this this came out of left field. Where'd this guy come from? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking but, at the, I'm, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right now. Uh, yeah, yeah. John Mark Carr, 2006. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. Came out, the reason they knew was because he, um, they said that he said that he had drugged her and um, they hadn't found any drugs in her body. And also right. they had his DNA and it didn't match the DNA. So they figured he was just like a nut case. That's another weird thing to me. I don't understand these people that just like confess, but it happens like all the time. I mean, that's why they don't give all the details to the press like ever, because every single case, especially cases that are really, really like high profile like that, you're always going to get like a huge, like a, an alarming number of people like coming forward saying they did it. I, I can't imagine needing attention that bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Confessing well, to like a there, murder that you didn't do. There's some killer. They tried to like link him to the making a murderer uh, murder. Uh, um, that's a word <laughs> salad, but yeah, they tried to link him to that, to the Teresa Hallback murder, but there's like, there's like a serial killer. You probably know this guy. Like he, he's confessed to like a shitload of crimes. And I think, Kind of the opposite Henry of my, my DNA thing. What's that? Henry Lee Lucas? Yeah, yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's another weird one where it's like, in some instances, you feel like that they just want to, 
they just take his word for it on some of these because they just want to close the case where it's like there's no way that guy really killed all these people. So it's a very weird – that's a whole other weird thing. Yeah. they did. Actually, I just saw a documentary about Henry Lee Lucas the other day. They think that he probably killed two or three people, but he's <laughs> confessed to – Jeez, I can't even remember now. It's a couple hundred, maybe yeah. more than that. Pretty much any case that happened, like in in this time period, like in a particular time period in a particular large swath of the country, he's like, oh yeah, I did that. And like yeah, you yeah, said, yeah. a lot of times it's it's messed up because a lot of times they'll be like, oh, you did it, okay, we're just closing the books on that one, even though they found out later like he wasn't even in the state at the time, or you know. They like he was provably some like working somewhere else, like you know, hundreds of miles away. Like when that happened, and he couldn't have done it. He's just addicted to. I mean, he did kill people, but um, not nearly as many as he yeah, said he did. Weird. It might have been. Yeah, 600, yeah. Was it six hundred? I want to say it was six hundred people that he confessed. Yeah, it was to, some like, astronomical number. Where it's it was, like, yeah, it was oh, like some on, ridiculous man. number. Where it's like, yeah. and I think somebody actually did the math, and like over the time period, it's like, could a person could could they even have done that? Like, is it logistically possible for them to have, you know, traveled around the country and done this, that, and the other thing? And they're like, no, it's not possible. It's not possible that one person did that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's like that's an interesting character. Um, he is. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's do another story here. Who put Bella in the witch elm? Okay, yeah, this is a good one. Uh, this happened in 1943. So uh, this is right around Birmingham, England. Uh, so there's four kids, and uh, this was spring. And they decided they were going to go out to this place called Hagley Wood, and they were looking around for, I think they were looking for bird's nests or bird's eggs or something like that. So they're going around looking and one of the kids uh, climbs up this witch hazel tree and um, he looks like down into the hollow and he sees something white down in there. And he's like, huh, I wonder what that is. So he reaches down and he pulls it out. Now at first he thinks it's an animal skull, but when he gets it all the way pulled out, uh, he sees that it is a human skull. Um, so, at this point, they were kind of like, hmm, well, we're not really supposed to be on this property because it belonged to some, like, landed gentry or something. So it was like, we're yeah. kind of poaching. So let's just stuff this back in the tree, and then we'll just go home and not talk about it anymore. So that's what <laughs> they did. Now, later on that night, though, one of the kids actually was kind of like, he felt bad. So he actually told his dad, hey, we found a human skull in the tree. So they called the cops. And the cops uh, go to the tree the next morning. So they actually found it was when they got in there, it wasn't just the skull. It was pretty much the whole skeleton. So this woman had been killed and stuffed into the hollow of this tree. Now, the only thing they didn't find was one of her hands, which actually was found buried, like outside, like at the base of the tree, almost like somebody, I don't know what happened with that. Um, but yeah. it looked like that it that had been buried separately. So they also found with the skeleton, they found one shoe, uh, some clothes. They found a bottle, a wedding ring, um, and like this little scrap of fabric that they think had been stuffed into her mouth, like to suffocate her. Mm-hmm. So they do some forensic uh, examination of the body. They find out that she was between 35 and 40 years old. 
um, kind of a little woman. She's only about five feet tall. Uh, they thought she had at least one kid, as they could tell from the pelvis. Uh, she had dark brown hair and these really weird, like, crooked teeth. So they, and the way that the skeleton was, they said, okay, well, she must have been, like, stuffed into this tree, like, right after she was killed because, you know, she was really stuffed in there. They wouldn't have been able to do it, like, if she had rigor mortis or whatever. Now, yeah, they're like, okay, she's yeah. probably been dead. Yeah, she's probably been dead about a year and a half. So they think that she was murdered in October of 1941 or roundabout. So because her teeth were so uh, distinctive, like they were really crooked, they thought, oh, well, this would be easy, like, to identify her because her teeth are so weird. So they do, like, a bunch – they search all the dental records uh, in the U.K., but they don't find anything. So then they figure out, well, maybe she's not from around here. Um, You know, there were no missing persons that, you know, matched that description from around that area. And some of the stuff that they found with her was not sold in the U.K., so they thought maybe she was Dutch or maybe she was German. Um, So basically, so it's 1943. I mean, it's during World War II in Europe. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of people are busy doing other things. Uh, You know, there's a lot of bad shit going on. So it's like they don't really have, like, a huge amount of time, like, to investigate or find out who this is. Now, they did find out, though, that there was a guy that lived not too far from there. Um, and he said that he thought he had heard a woman screaming from that wood. And this was back in July of 1941, which is, you know, close to the time where they thought she might have been. Now, he yeah. said that he reported it to the police at the time, but the police came out and they didn't find anything. So basically, they're like, okay, well, nothing, like the case goes nowhere for like two years. So then. It's like the end of the year, 1944. It was like right before Christmas. Then this piece of graffiti turns up. There's uh, on this wall, like on a street in Birmingham, somebody had written uh, on the wall, who put Bella down the witch elm, Hagley Wood. So they see this and they're like, well, what does that, okay, that's really weird. And then, like, over the next couple weeks, like, similar kind of things start turning up, like, around the city and around the same area. Like, some of them said stuff like Hagleywood Bella. Some of them said, like, one said, who put Lua Bella down the witch elm. So the cops are sitting there going, yeah, so the cops are like, okay, well, is the same person writing this, or is this somebody that knows, like, who that woman is that was in the tree, or... Is it just some weird kind of like, you know, meme thing? Like somebody saw the one thing and they're like, now everybody's copying it. They don't really know. Right. So, so since all these, uh, you know, messages started turning up, like the case got uh, kind of like, you know, more interest uh, was sparked about it. So the investigators kind of started working on it again and like other people around the town kind of got interested in it. So they kind of start working on it. So then they have this uh, woman who comes forward and she says, you know, because they still don't know who this woman is, where she came from. Um, so they're trying to figure out uh, her identity. So they have this prostitute uh, from Birmingham. She comes forward, and she said that uh, she had known another prostitute named Bella, and she had worked along that, uh, that road uh, and had disappeared sometime in 1941. Uh, they didn't really find anything uh, else along that line. Uh, There was also a thing where Margaret Murray, who's kind of a famous uh, anthropologist, 
she was very fascinated by the fact that the hand was found separate from the rest of the body, and they weren't quite sure why that was. So she came up with a theory that this was like a cult-style murder, and that this woman had been killed in order to make a hand of glory, um, which seems a little far-fetched. But there was another weird murder. Uh, I think I wrote about it in my book too. But it was a guy named an old guy named Charles Walton, uh, and he got killed like with a pitchfork, like in a really ritualistic kind of way, yeah. like in the 1940s. Um, so that was so it wasn't unprecedented. Like it, it did seem like a weird pagan. You know, we're like we're giving the blood to the earth, like to grow the you know the crops or whatever. Right. Right. Um, so so there was a little bit of that. So they said, well, that's kind of possible. Um, I feel like the most uh, plausible, you know, kind of line of inquiry into her identity was yeah. that she was probably, they think she might have been a Dutch woman or a German woman, like I said. Uh, one of the theories was that she was a Dutch woman named Clarabella Dronkers and that she was uh, involved in a Nazi spy ring. And they think that maybe she was strangled by another Dutch spy. Uh, whose name was Van Ralt. Now, they got this information from, like, the wife of a guy who saw it happen or who was involved in it happening, and apparently something went wrong with a mission or whatever, and they ended up – although he changed his story a couple times. Like, one of his stories, he's like, yeah, this Van Ralt guy strangled her and then stuffed her in the tree because whatever, they had a fight. Um, but then in another version, he came forward and said, no, we didn't kill her. She was just – really really drunk and we just stuffed her in the tree because reasons like she was still alive <laughs> like we thought like we thought that maybe she would like realize that she had hit rock bottom with the drinking like if she woke up like stuffed in the tree <laughs> that was one of the stories that he gave I'm like okay that sounds plausible but yeah so uh but the spy thing did seem like pretty promising because there, they did know that there was this Nazi operative, uh, and her right. code name was Clarabella, and she ah. had parachuted into that part of England in 1941. Um, and they had also executed another Nazi spy who had that same last name, uh, Dronkers. It was a, it was a man. So you know they may have been related, and they might have been like in on the same stuff. Interesting. Um, yeah. So there was also uh, they also caught this guy. Uh, who was in the Gestapo, and his name was Joseph Jacobs. And um, before they executed him, they went through his uh, stuff, like his possessions, and he had a photograph of his girlfriend, who was a German uh, cabaret singer named Clara Bowerly. And she actually lived in Birmingham and uh, was thought to be like a Nazi spy. Um, yeah. And again, they think that maybe she was killed because something went wrong with the mission and they just, you know, whatever. Um, now, the interesting thing about the Clara Bowerly uh, theory is that apparently she was never, because like I said, she was not famous, famous, but she was kind of well-known. She was a singer and an actress and stuff. So like she kind of was, you know, known a little bit. Now, yeah, she yeah. wasn't really heard from again after 1941, Um but the thing about it is that, so, you know, it could have been her, but Clara Bowerly was tall, was fairly tall, and the woman they found in the tree they thought was pretty short. They thought she was only five feet, so they're not entirely sure. Um, so they're not, I mean, like I said, the spy thing to me seems the most reasonable, but 
there is the whole thing of like why if why if these were spies, it seems like a very strange way to kill somebody and a very strange way to get rid of a body. Right, um, right. And especially like well, if you caught a spy, wouldn't you? Nowhere. If you caught a spy, like even if you killed them, no one's going to really be mad at you, right? So yeah, right. I just, I just <laughs> so feel like, like I feel like yeah. yeah, I feel like if it was a spy and like another spy like got mad at you or you like you know blew their cover or whatever, and you have oh, like, a spy on off, spy. Oh, okay, yeah, all right. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I think they're thinking that that's what it is, but it's like I I feel like if you were going to do that, I feel like you would do it like like the mob would do it. You would just like shoot him and just like throw him in the ocean or something like that. Right, like, right. You know what I mean? I feel like killing them and then going to all the trouble of stuffing them into a tree. I don't know. That just seems very strange to me. And it just, and it seems like this tree was kind of out in a forest, you know what I mean? So it seemed like, you know, why were they out there? What were they doing? Um, you know, why would you, why would you go? I mean, it seems so much easier to just bury them. I mean, if you were out there yeah. and killed them, why stuff them into a tree? It just seems too much work. But, um, yeah, so the, so this graffiti, like, still shows up periodically. Um, I think the last one, and it may have been updated by now, but the last one was in 2016. So people are still putting this uh, graffiti, like, everywhere uh, around Birmingham because this case has still never been solved. They still don't know who she is. Um, like I said, I do think the spy on spy thing is the most reasonable hypothesis. It seems to have the most evidence to support it. Um, yeah. But it's possible she could have just, you know, been a sex worker and she ran into a serial killer and who had a thing for stuffing people in trees. I mean, it's not the weirdest thing <laughs> that I've heard of. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, having watched a lot of these shows, it it'll, it never ceases to amaze me the lengths people will go uh, to dispose of bodies in strange ways. So it's always like, fuck, yeah. It's like, why would you just like you said? Why would you just throw them in a river? Why did you need to like do all this elaborate shit? Yeah, I mean that um, seems like ritualistic to me a little yeah. bit. It's certainly, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of work, yeah. So yeah. it's uh, it's very strange. Um, now, have you looked at this new Bedford Highway killer story that's kind of from around where I am? I'm in Massachusetts. It's down south of me. Have you, I, I don't know much about it. I guess there's a couple of books on it, but I haven't read it at all. Have you ever heard of this one? Uh, I've heard of it, yeah. It's kind of uh, it's on our topic list because a couple people have uh, requested that we do it. I don't know a All great right. deal about it either. I think it's kind okay. of like what is it's like eight women, nine women, something like that, that have kind of gone missing yeah. around the same area. But yeah, yeah I don't know. Yeah, it's to say, but it's your it's your standard highway killer. You know, it's it's your yeah. Like I said, <laughs> it, it seems like there's a lot of those, a lot of those yeah. running around. I mean, that's I I feel like I I read something not too long ago that they were talking about the. Of all the serial killers that have been caught, they did like a analysis of what the most common professions were that they had, and truck yeah. driver was up there. Not saying all truck drivers are serial killers. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that that they're like you know, there's uh, in serial killers, their truck drivers are largely represented. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's always well, kind of is... stuff like that. It's a uh, yeah. 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 Well. Uh, uh... <laughs> 
Well, this is, I'm sure, a controversial thing to say, but it's true. So, uh, but but I, I've seen a lot of criticism uh, of the Golden State Killer case because there's a belief, and I agree with it in a sense, because there's, there's other cases where this has happened, where it's like the perpetrator is a cop, and the cops never think to look at other cops. You know, it's that thin blue line. That's why I said this could be kind of controversial. But I mean, it's just that's just nat- that's human nature. Apparently, it's kind of the same thing in the medicine world, where it's like doctors kind of cover for other doctors. It's the the thin white line they call it. So it's not some unheard of thing. But that's a that's another part a prevalent thing where it's like I think that's where some of these guys get away with it for a while because they're cops and and cops never think that maybe a cop could have done it. Yeah, that really does seem to be – that is pretty common, isn't it? Because I, I feel yeah. like even a lot of serial killers that aren't cops are like cop groupies, or like they want to be cops. Right. Or, you know, or you know, they wanted to be cops, but they couldn't quite cut it or it's something like that. They always seem to have that – it's that one specific kind of serial killer personality type, uh, which Golden State Killer was as well, where they like having control over people, I guess. And so yeah. they always kind of want to, yeah, they want to like tell other people what to do and, you know, things of that nature. So I guess that kind of work appeals to them in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, there's, it, it's weird because I, I think co- I think police officer was actually in that. It might have been top five or top ten. I can't remember. I would bet that is. list of most most common. It's that <laughs> was definitely in there. Because. Yeah, because it's it's not even just that cops don't investigate cops per se, but it's also like if you're going to be a criminal, what better cover than a cop? Because you then you know how not to get caught, and yep. if you're really like close to the case, you know what what the you know where where they're looking and shit, what the evidence is, which yeah. is that kind of stuff. So it's like okay, I can throw them off their off what they're thinking here and by doing this that and the other thing. So yeah, it's a yeah. and one would think, but you know, it's human nature, I guess. They and, don't look at other calls. And you can and you can definitely get like more access to victims too, because especially if you're killing women or whatever, it's like you know you can pull a woman over in the middle of the night who's like alone in her car, and it's like most people are going to pull over cause if you're a cop, you right? Because right. they're like, oh, I'm going to get in trouble. So you have that going for you too. You kind of have. You know, whereas if you were just like a regular creepy looking dude, it's like people would be like, yeah, nope, I'm out of here. Like, they're not going to stop for you. But if you're a cop, they will, you know. Exactly. So that's another thing. Exactly. Surprise, it doesn't happen All right, now often, we're, actually. <laughs> I bet it does. Now, we're 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 heading toward the end. The, uh, one more case. Uh, I, I, I won't ask you to tell any more stories. I'm sorry I gave you so many now, but I think we got almost all of them. Oh, that's we didn't, okay. We didn't, <laughs> we, didn't do the, we didn't do the Frog Boys, but people should get uh, – they should get all of the Faceless Villains books, but in Volume 3 you'll hear about the Frog Boys and the Iko, Inokashira Park Dismemberment Incident, which were two I had on my list, but we're running out of time here. So um, that will entice people to go and pick it up. This, this one – this is a new case. You probably don't know any more than I do about it, but, I mean, what do you think of this, the Delphi case? Because that's like, I mean, you know what's fucked up is, like, it's just this human nature. I don't know what it is. It's life, like, it never ceases to provide new fucking creepy shit to to creep you out. So it's like, for folks who don't know, this is a case that happened I don't know the state. I'm not good at geography. But in a town called Delphi, I want to say Nebraska or Idaho. 
Um, maybe Jenny knows. But uh, a couple of girls, teenage girls, were, like, walking along a bridge. They were being followed by a creepy guy. They filmed the creepy guy, like, on Snapchat, and then they were found murdered. And so, like, the police have released this, like, blurry, bad video of the creepy guy and, and like, audio of the creepy guy being, like, get down the hill. And it's like, oh, that's all they've given out. And people are like, give out all the other shit you have, but they're holding it back, some people think, or some people don't. It's a very contentious new case. It happened a couple of years ago. Um, but it's creepy as hell. So, I mean, what, what, what do you – I, I presume you may have looked at this. So what do, you, what do you think of the Delphi case? Yeah, this is another one that a bunch of people have requested that we do. We haven't done it on the show yet. But um, I did remember it. seeing – You know, it's hard to yeah, get info on it. Yeah, it's like it happened in uh, 2017, and yeah, Something I think like I'm that. looking. I looked at. Yeah, I think it was uh, Indiana. I think it was. But so yeah, close. it's like, yeah. So these two, yeah, these two teenage girls, man, they're just like walking, and it was like the middle of the day, right? I mean, they're just like yeah, walking yeah, like the down afternoon. the trail in the middle of the day, like 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 you do, and then this dude is just like falling behind them. They were what 13 and right, and uh, yeah, so this. The the thing about it, if they have, I mean, how much of the video have they released? I see the picture, like I've seen the picture of the dude, and Just you know they've like released that, the, that tiny audio clip, and they didn't release that until like like halfway, you know, halfway through the last three years, like a year and a half into it or something like that. So and, see, and they were reporting weird. for a lot longer than that, weren't they? Because they were just like, is this that's dude the following? Theory. Yeah, that's like yeah. the theory that there's got to be more material but then no one knows it's a very it's one of those that's really uh i'm not surprised you got a lot of requests for it it's one of those that's really jazzed up the the citizen sleuth community in a sense like that's why it's it's got a lot of i won't say excitement interest around it because uh it's just so weird and so puzzling that you see a whole bunch of people you know online uh trying to uh you know, trying to solve it essentially. Now that a lot of these other cases have been solved. Yeah, and there's well, I think there's always something too. There's always something particularly fascinating about cases that have these kind of creepy photographs that go along with them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this is the last picture that they took, or you know, this is you know the, a picture, and there's like a person squatting over in the bush. Is this the person that killed them and stuff like that? So I think that kind of helps a lot too that it has that visual component because I'm always creeped out by cases like that because I was like, holy crap, they they took that picture and then like a few minutes later they were dead. You know what I mean? That like really weirds me out. So I think that might be why. I mean, I'm looking at the the sketch of the dude. It's really weird because the sketch of the dude doesn't really look like the picture of the dude. Like the dude yeah. in the picture older than the dude in the sketch like the dude in the sketch looks like he's like 20 but the dude in the picture looks like he's maybe 40 yeah it's a very description yeah it said in the description that it's like that he was kind of youthful looking maybe that it's like he maybe could have could have been anywhere from 18 to 40 years old they weren't really sure how old he was like a baby face so yeah like yeah because he seems to have like a little round kind of face yeah. But yeah, this is just like yeah, this is super creepy. They're also it's they're also not releasing how they were killed, were did they? I feel like they no, just said but they there's were like murdered. all kinds of rumors about like uh, it, it's a crazy story. I've dug a little bit into it, uh, like I said, because the, the citizen sleuth community is so uh, into it. Um, and we're heading. Uh, the lady's gonna cut us off in a minute, but we're still 
We're still going to record, uh, so just if you bear with me, give me like five, ten minute, more minutes, and I'll I'll get you on your way, um, if that's all right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, there's there's like leaked um, there's like leaked text messages from someone who allegedly stumbled upon the bodies, the person who found the bodies, and said that they were like ritualistically murdered. But the provenance of these texts and the the veracity of them is in un, is in question. Some people swear that they're accurate. Others, other places, they're they're the you know it's so in question. I think like on one of the Reddit groups, like you're not allowed to post the that you can only allude to the texts um, because they can't you know it's not a huh. it's not a sure thing. So that's a very that's one of the weirder aspects of the uh, of the case. But there's very very little information out there, so it's it's a hard. It's a hard nut to crack, and when you're looking at these these groups, it's like they you can only I, I kind of check in every few months or something like that because if you go like every day, they're just pondering over like the same details endlessly over and over and over again. Where it's like, was he wearing a hat or a hood? And they like, to, like, <laughs> yeah. like oh Jesus, not the hat and hood debate again. <laughs> oh no, yeah, I'm like I'm looking at the Wikipedia page, and yeah, there's really not a lot on there about it they have like a few yeah. suspects listed and then that's about it and they're just kind of talking about the controversy about how they haven't released much of the information and how people are kind of see that's i mean i know that they have to like keep some information back like i said to keep to weed out you know false confessions and stuff but yeah. I feel like on the other side of that is the more information you withhold, the more suspicious it looks that like, you know, some stuff you don't want other people knowing about it. And it's like, might be some shenanigans. So you can't really win, I guess. <laughs> by doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. So the, Something crossed my mind there before uh, I lost my train of thought. But yeah, the, the Delphi, the people online looking at the uh, over debating the stuff is, <laughs> yeah, they it, you don't have any information and they start again. It's kind of like what we talked about before, where it's like stuff takes on a significance that isn't necessarily a clue to the case. But when you have nothing else, you just kind of like keep digging into the same stuff like over and over and over again. Yeah, because you just, I mean, they they're so interested in it and and I know that they're, you know, trying to help and stuff, but it's like, like you said, when nothing new is coming out, you just keep going back over the old stuff again and hoping to find something else or, and like you said, you don't really know until the murder's solved, you don't know what's significant and what's not. So you just kind of have to act like everything is, I suppose. But yeah. Yeah. That seems to be the case. Yeah. Uh, now you're going to be talking at the Strange Realities Conference, so uh, I think you're on Friday night, same night I am. So uh, probably in a couple of weeks from tonight. So what are you? What are you going to be talking yep. about? I'm going to be talking about two really weird murders that happened in 1974 in St. Augustine, Florida, which is only a few miles from where I grew up. Um, these were two women who were basically hacked to death. The first one was hacked to death on her front porch with a machete. And uh, the second one was her head was busted open with a concrete block. And uh, there's a whole, there's a whole thing about this woman not being super popular in town. And like, maybe this guy's like a city counselor, maybe did it and all this other kind of stuff. So it's like, it's a really interesting 
case. And I wanted to cover that one because because uh, I've been to St. Augustine, uh, you know, numerous, numerous times. And it's a beautiful place, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of weird shit going on there. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I'm going to be doing. Yeah, I'll be on Friday night at 1040, I think, is my time slot. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. So you're right after me. So so the, for the folks listening, the Banal America folks uh, listening, uh, Strange Reality Conference, two weeks from tonight, um, like at this very time, essentially, uh, I'll be coming on first talking about the Flat Earth people, people of Flat Earth, and uh, and then Jenny's going to be talking about these unsolved murders. So that's your Friday night yep. right there, folks. Yeah. So. Yep, it's all sorted. <laughs> yeah, strangerealitiesconference.com. And, of course, uh, your website is jennyashford.com. The books are The Faceless Villain, a collection of the eeriest unsolved murders of the 20th century, volumes 1, 2, and 3. We really just scratched the surface here uh, of these. There's so many cases in here. And i got to tell you, for sure, uh, you're coming back on the show at some point, if you, if you want to, because uh, we could talk. I this, this whole conversation flew by. I feel like we could, I feel like we could easily uh, talk again about all kinds of other stuff related to this true crime realm, if you will. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, there's so many. I had you would not. Uh, I had to leave so many murders out because <laughs> I was just. I was like, this book is going to be four thousand pages long because I just kept yeah, finding yeah. new ones. And it's like even now, like the three that I wrote, I keep going back and finding ones that I left out of those that I shouldn't have left out. And I was like, oh man, crap. But it's you know what I mean. <laughs> it's, yeah, you can't. Just... You can't win. You you got to stop somewhere. It's like you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, eventually maybe you just do uh, the faceless villain deep cuts, and uh, yeah, you do that yeah, and run I off the extra that. ones. <laughs> yeah, and of course, <laughs> the podcast is thirteen o'clock. I've been uh, looking for new podcasts to listen to, and so having talked to you about true crime for all this time, uh, you, you mentioned all these episodes of your show. So now I'm going to get off uh, the phone later tonight and uh, and start downloading episodes of thirteen o'clock to check out. Uh, these different programs on these different serial killers uh, that you guys have talked about on there. And uh, what other stuff do you talk about on 13 o'clock? It says paranormal weirdness. What kind of stuff have you talked about on there? Oh, my gosh. We do – for a while we did a series on the show Haunting. So we do, like, uh, poltergeist-type stuff, haunting-type stuff. We also do, like, historical-type stuff, like pretty much anything that's just weird. Like, we did a show a couple weeks ago about Howard Hughes. Because <laughs> oh, a bunch wow. of people ask about nice. that. Yeah. So we do, uh, you know, we did like weird Roman stuff, like old poisoners and stuff. Uh, you know, we've mostly done true crime. I feel like we've gone more in a true crime direction the last few years. Before that, yeah. we did, you know, some UFO stuff. We did kind of like Edgar Casey. We did all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, we've slowly kind of gone more in the true crime direction because that's that's kind of my, you know, area of expertise and that's what I like to talk about, but we still gotcha. do, you know, we still do historical stuff. We still do paranormal stuff, you know, and pretty much any weird case you can think of, we either have covered it or it's on our topic list to cover at some point in the future. So that's just there you what go. we well, do. Well, if you haven't covered <laughs> this one yet, I'll give you a recommendation to put on the list. Cause we've, we've done these shows. Uh, we've done two or three uh, covering this topic, cruise ship crimes, cruise ship crimes. Oh, they're, that's they're, a good one, actually. Yeah, they're plentiful. Look up uh, Kendall Carver of the International Cruise Victims. I'm probably gonna interview him at least some point in the next year. It's been a long time since I talked to him, but 
<coughs> excuse me, his daughter died under mysterious circumstances. Uh, I think she vanished under mysterious circumstances off a cruise ship. Then he formed this organization, and since then, he's uncovered like just tons of these cases, just tons of like just just insane malfeasance on the part of the cruise. Like I'm surprised the cruise people haven't like tried, tried to take him out. He's tried. He's, he's testified before Congress to get legislation passed. It's it's really crazy. Yeah, the way he describes it is like a cruise ship has like thousands and thousands of people on it, like sometimes close to 10,000, if not that many, and like no police. There's no police force. It's like a little mini city yeah. out in the ocean with no police force, and all of the all the workers are essentially like transients. They're like people who don't have they don't have to pass any background check. Um, you know, and I don't, I don't want to sound xenophobic, but they come from all over the world, let's say. So, of of varying of varying moral compasses. So, and they're right. living a life on the sea. So, it's yeah. like you're already who knows, who the fuck knows what that does to your moral compass if you've if you've spent 20 years living on cruise ships. It's like God, you're like a fucking alien. You're not even like part of <laughs> part of civilization. So yeah, it's a wild, it's a wild, wild world. I would, I would highly recommend checking that out. Um, yeah, that's actually a really good recommendation. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that in the topic box. <laughs> nice, nice. All right. Well, uh, like I said, the website is JennyAshford.com. Uh, I told you the books, the Faceless Villain trilogy. Plus, there's a whole bunch. We didn't even get into your stuff on Poltergeist. That's why I said we got to get you back on uh, the show in the future to talk about Poltergeists and paranormalia and stuff like that but there's only so much time in the evening so uh so we covered the the true crime stuff tonight and um 13 o'clock is the podcast and once again uh jenny will be speaking right after me two weeks from tonight at the strange realities conference which you can watch from the comfort of your own home at strangerealitiesconference.com i think that covers it all um, well, Jenny, I can't thank you enough. This was an absolute blast. Uh, I haven't. I, 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 I should be delving more into true crime because I really do enjoy talking about it so much. And I, I, I appreciate you letting me kind of rant a little bit about <laughs> about some of these or pluck pluck some of these random cases that have always kind of uh, vexed me and be like, what do you like? Uh, <laughs> what do you like this case? So this was this was. Uh, Kind of the equivalent, a lot of people say the show sometimes feels like a couple of friends sitting at the bar having a beer. This is pretty close to the ideal uh, style that we do here on Madal of America. So I really did appreciate it, and hopefully we'll be talking again in the future. And uh, I See, I almost said I'll see you at the Str- – I will see you at the Strange Realities Conference, but I'll see you on the computer. On the computer. Yeah, we won't be raising hell in Nashville this year, maybe next year. <laughs> All right, well, good but luck yeah, with your I mean, presentation. Oh, God. Thank you very much. Awesome. <laughs> good luck with the presentation. We'll be talking soon, and, uh, you know, have fun out there. Yeah, you too. All right, thanks a lot. Good night. Thanks. Good night. All right, folks, that was Jenny Ashford. That was an awesome edition of Been All of America. Uh, that was a lot of fun. We covered a lot of stuff I don't think we've ever done on BOA. Um, I've always wanted to do like a whole Zodiac episode. I got to track down that Zodiac conspiracy theorist, even though I don't necessarily uh, believe what he says or or subscribe to his theory. Um, It would be interesting to hear what he has to say. But yeah, maybe I'll be getting more into true crime as time goes on. Um, And that's a good segue to what's coming up next for Banal of America. 
as I said, this is the penultimate Summer of Strangeness session. Uh, so we got one episode left. It was funny. I was going to have to put out a call to the Banal America listeners to try and psychically make this happen. But as luck would happen, as luck would have it, uh, our guest contacted me uh, a couple of days ago and we locked him in. So it was with great pleasure that I inform you all that we will be wrapping up the Summer of Strangeness with the man, the myth, the legend, William Zabel. And if you're not a longtime Banal of America listener, uh, you probably don't know William Zabel, but he's one of the more colorful characters we've ever had on Banal of America. Um, he started out as a Columbine conspiracy theorist originally when we had him on the show. Then he vanished for like three or four years, and everybody wanted him back on the show, but we couldn't find him. He disappeared. Then he resurfaced, and we brought him back, and we got into all kinds of crazier conspiracy theories and wild stuff about his life as an actor. He says he was in the movie Ford Fairlane. We still haven't been able to confirm that. And also a film called Kramer's Ketchup, which nobody can seem to find. So, so suffice it to say, he's one of the more popular but all American guests because we don't know what he's going to say next. And excitingly, if that's even a word, since the last time we talked to him, I'm under the impression he left America, moved to Europe. Um, I think he bounced from Germany to Portugal. And then, because of the pandemic, he, he left Portugal and came back here, which he's not very happy about at all. So if, you're, if you like fired-up, angry, ornery William Zabel, you're, you're in for a treat uh, next week. So it's been a long time coming. I miss, I miss William Zabel. I remember when we talked to him last, he was saying he was going to leave for Germany. And I'm like, what the, what the, like, what the fuck are you, crazy? Dude, what are you doing? Why are you... Why are you leaving for Germany? And apparently he did. So we're going to find out about his adventure. We're going to find out what became of the car wash he owned. Um, uh, my car wash was, was the name of it. We're going to get into all that. We're going to find out that. We're going to find out what he thinks of QAnon. What does William Zabel think of QAnon? I've got to know this. I know he doesn't like Donald Trump. He certainly doesn't like the Democrats. He doesn't seem to like anybody. Um, he's concerned about the deep state. I follow him on Facebook. Uh, but we're going to get all his thoughts on all this stuff because there's so much going on right now uh, that is strange and unusual in, in in sort of the conspiracy sphere. And if anybody has uh, a unique opinion on it, I'm sure it's William Zabel. So uh, I teased it on social media that longtime but All-America listeners should be thrilled about this, should be excited because he's one of the more popular guests we've ever had on BOA. And uh, a return from William Zabel is long overdue. So that's going to be next week on the program. What is that? September 18th, 2020. Uh, William Zabel, the conclusion of the Banal of America Summer of Strangeness. Uh, and I guess I'll, I'll, I'll give you information on what's going to happen after that uh, on next week's episode. But pretty much this is not the end of our of our run here, you know, in twenty probably in twenty twenty for sure. So we'll, there'll be more episodes coming down the line, but uh, next week will be sort of a stopping point for a little while, so I can take a little break, and uh, then we'll resume stuff. I have sort of a plan. Maybe I'll get into that next week. But be that as it may, you got one more show. It's coming up next week. It's William Zabel, September eighteenth, nine p.m. Eastern, same but all time, same but all channel. 
tune in. I think it's going to be awesome. Once again, big thanks to Jenny Ashford for coming on the show. Loved the conversation. Uh, I could talk to your guy for hours, man. I really could. It's uh, one of the more – it's just something about it. I don't know. It's that, Like I said, it's that true part of it. It's like a, these are real horror stories, and they are truly horrific. Uh, thanks to Jim Vujovic and Zach Copley and uh, Sarah Streetfield for joining us in the chat tonight. A couple of people popped in but didn't say anything, so uh, we won't give them any credit for, uh, <laughs> for getting in the chat. Um, big thanks, of course, to the folks who listened live and, of course, to the, fact, uh, to the folks who are uh, listening now here on the MP3. And as such, and uh, with all that said, until next time, this is Tim Benall, thanking you for listening and signing off. Oh,